Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce that after 21 short episodes, we have our first sponsor. It's a locally owned and operated nonprofit video rental store called Film is Truth. They have a collection of over 19,000 films in VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. So no matter what platform you watch on, you can find the film you're looking for. They have a little bit of everything, but specialize in foreign, independent, art house, and documentary films, which is super cool because they likely have a selection that you won't be able to find in larger stores or even on some of the larger streaming platforms. This is great for filmmakers especially because you should have a wide background of films to pull from in your own filmmaking. Here at Back to Back Films, we are all about expanding not only our own knowledge, but the knowledge of our listeners, viewing films that we normally wouldn't watch, so this is a really special partnership for us. Film is Truth is open from noon to 9 p.m. every day and can be found here in Bellingham at 1530 Cornwall Avenue, inside the Terra Organica Market. That's convenient for you because you can get your food and your films in one stop. If you are a non-local listener, then you can find them at filmistruth.com or at facebook.com at filmistruth. All right, everyone. Enjoy the show. This week's episode of the Back to Back Films podcast. This week we're covering King Kong 1933 and Kong Skull Island. Uh, as always, we recommend that you watch the two films we'll be discussing for listening to the episode. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And this is Jake. And today we have a special guest with us. The first time that uh, we're doing this with a guest, uh, Mr. Tony Pritchard. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you do have an NPR voice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I well. knew it. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of want to start things off, you know, just kind of you tell listeners, like, who you are, just oh, a little okay. bit about yourself, what you do, why you're here, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Well, I'm here because you guys, like, asked me to. Right? <laughs> okay. We're yeah. just surprised. That's why. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just showed up. <laughs> yeah, I just walked in, you know. <laughs> um, I, I, let's see. What, I teach at Western, uh, Washington University, and... Uh, what do you teach, specifically? I'm in English, but I teach, like, a variety of things. Okay. That probably, like, history of technology is probably my thing. Okay. Oh, what's yeah? Do I need to, like, scoot up? Uh, I'm just leaving sugar. Yeah, you're okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, sorry. Oh, no problem. My bad. My mistake. Okay, so, you teach at Western yep. in the English, but focusing on film? Um, sometimes. I mean, like, focusing on history of technology. So, like, film's always, like, an essential part of my classes. Okay. Like, I start off every class with a film because, one, it gives everyone sort of a text to talk about quickly. Okay. Do you use and, the same film every time? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Depends on the class. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it the same film for the same class for the same class for a yeah. while okay. until uh you know like it, the like i'm teaching this class and like the first film is uh in the mouth of madness the nice. john carpenter film and then we do about half the class and then like next week it's about getting close to midterm so we're doing uh when marnie was there okay mm. so and then you guys can 
butt in whenever you want to butt in. Okay. Questions and you know, don't have to sit there awkwardly. Um, or unless you, know, you want to. Yeah. Or unless you want to, you know. My thumbs need twiddling, so. Yeah. Also, for listeners, this is like the second time we're all in the same room together recording this, so it's awkward we, as hell. Yeah, well, this is brand new for, I think, all of us, so we'll figure it out. It's easier when you're on the other side of the camera. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I feel more Just, comfortable. We should have put, like, a box around me or something. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, wow, this totally works better when we're in person. Uh, uh, Tony Pritchard, are you, um, why, why do you, why do you even teach English like and why why the technology of English like why why well, the technology of like the history of technology history of technology oh, okay yes. um, because it's probably like I mean for me it makes sense in terms of like I look at uh, books as a technology and so what do you what do you mean by that um, well literature or written linear um, script is a technology right for programming coding instructions um explaining imparting information and so i mean but along that i mean along that it's like uh narrative theory is also a big thing for me in terms of because if you understand like how narratives are created and shaped um you uh i mean i think it's a very powerful thing in terms of understanding how uh, things work upon us, how forces work, and whatnot. I sound like a conspiracy person, but that's not at all what I mean. <laughs> um, and I think, like, film is a really... Like, narrative in film and narrative in, like, written text operates wildly differently. So it's, it's, it's a way that you can always be on your toes in terms of studying both. Oh, weird. So when you got involved with Western... Was it in the capacity of more English and more history of technology, or were you always interested in, like, doing something with film? Oh, yeah, always, always film and um, visual visual media. Okay. Um, yeah, so, like, I did my graduate, uh, my master's at Western, and, like, most of my um, papers were, like, on sculpture or, okay. fi- or film. And so... After that, like after I finished my master's, I went and taught in art history for a while mm-hmm. and um, taught a lot of film classes there. Uh, and, and that was a good fit for a while. And then went back to English and uh, sort of just teach whatever they want me to teach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to Western English, the English department is kind of where film lives. Yes. There's some stuff spread out but in general like if you want to do film you kind of have to get involved with the English department to some degree mm-hmm. yeah. like the film minors through the English yeah. department right yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly I mean unless you're going to be in Fairhaven right right because then right. you can yeah. then you can do sort of whatever you want to right exactly right. which is kind of how I found all the different things around the campus in general mm-hmm. I thought about doing the Fairhaven thing but I just ended up getting you know the film minor um, and then just the major creative writing. <laughs> but I wish, you know, I wish there was that, you know, English degree or film, you know, a film bachelor's. That would have been pretty right. cool. Not necessarily filmmaking, but just like film theory, film, right. you know. But that's what I always enjoyed about your classes is that it was seamless going from literature to like, you know, a novel to essays, you know, and then to, you know, like 
hardware or what you know. Like, yeah, like, right. right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, because it's it's. I mean, it's very much like the the manner in which. Okay, you have a message, you have a story that you're going to tell. How are you going to do it with these this set of tools? Whether it's like a graphic novel, whether yeah. it's film, hmm. or whether it's uh, you know just words. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up sculpture too. I mean, that I've never even thought of that. Like doing a, like a class or even just anything, you know, like you know, getting a, a work of art as like a sculpture and then a work of art as a film, and then like talking about that both of them as a narrative that's interesting like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd be really curious I'd be really interested in a course that highlighted a like a, a sculpture a film a, you know a, words you know and that and, and have all those things kind of relate back to the same core idea right, right. but with from a different piece of art yeah uh, that would be fascinating yeah <laughs> yeah so to kind of Pull us back with just a little bit. I'm kind of curious, and these are these are some loaded questions here. I love loaded. I love loaded questions. I will I will unload them. <laughs> What's your favorite film? Oh God! I told you, it's like a nuclear bomb drop. That's like you know, um, like when did you when did you stop caring? It's like a, it's like a question that's too big to answer. Right. Um, well, how about maybe what is something you always go back to? Or what is like a, a safe film that you feel like you could always watch? Maybe that's a better. I, well, favorite like my my favorite film is usually like something I've watched in like the last two weeks. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh wow that that really shook me up mm-hmm. and. Um, or the film that I'm like dying to watch that I like. Or so, that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll rephrase the question. The, the, the film I, I saw the most recently that I that I like really enjoyed for a variety of reasons was like um, the Good Guys. Oh, the Shane Black. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. pretty good. That one was a funny movie. That is Gosling what? and, yeah. and uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crow. yeah. 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 I mean, in in the way that it was like very much. Uh, like the legacy of Lethal Weapon in terms yeah. of like, but in terms of like the 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 sort of awareness of the film in trying to do it like okay it's in the seventies but at the same time this film is like winking at you the entire time yeah. of like yeah. uh, that it's it, self-aware that yeah. it knows that like okay we're at the point where this thing is going to happen in their relationship and you should just watch it because it's you know it's you know it's going to happen but it's it's still going to be a good time yeah 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 exactly the opening sequence when you know he's like the little boy is like he's got you know sneaking the playboy you know magazine from his dad and then like that shot after the accident with the model in it and it's just like you know her breast is exposed and it's just like the way it's done it's like okay I know exactly what type of movie this yes. is like, yeah. that it's I don't know how to explain that it's definitely like it's not quite exploitative but it's as 70s I don't know I, well, it's hard to explain yeah it. I mean there's like so many like I like like the visuals like the visual construction of the shots are like which I think is really cool in terms of like like I love the scene at, where Early, like it's about what a third of the way in, in the film when Russell Crowe goes back to his apartment where he he lives above the comedy store, which is like I mean, how, how more genius can you get than that? And then there's like the, the like there's a show going on, of course, and then like he's having this gun battle with like Keith David, I forget who else the yeah. other guy is, and uh, yeah, it's just. But yeah, at the same time, it's got the, it's got this use of inside and outside space. That's yeah, just, totally. That's so sure. great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, sorry. Uh, question. Uh, what was the first film you watched where you realized that 
it, there were actually people behind like the film like making it you know like uh, was, was there a particular film or was oh that was early on yeah that no was, that's what it, that's, that was it was very early on like I was uh, I, I, ha- I was like a <laughs> member of like the um, Star Wars fan club yeah yeah from like Empire Strikes Back onward yeah so that would be like you know 80 when I was like 6 or 7 probably right, right. so but I mean like my first experience with film um was entirely like visceral in that like I had astigmatism so like I can very I can very vividly remember remember watching Bambi in like, oh, the yeah, theaters yeah. and like getting ill not because of the content but because of like physically my my body could not like right. process this thing that I'm seeing on the screen right right and, wow. and like you know puking in the theater whoa <laughs> <laughs> so I like puked for a really long I mean not like at the theater I puked for a really long time but like they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me for like a few months and so right. like I I'd puke a lot in the car <laughs> driving and then they're like oh he's three years old you know he needs glasses right, right so I always knew that like there was something like like the, from a, from a very young age, it's like understanding fi- that film required some sort of like technological enhancement upon my body. Like my body wasn't ready for film until I had like glasses. Oh, right. That's interesting. Wow. So I mean, you could say yeah. that's like the history of technology and everything I study is like you know it's very <laughs> yeah. it's like it goes back it goes back like to like <laughs> when I'm three right, and like right. you know. Oh, I was like a latchkey kid, so you know, <laughs> but it wasn't really a key. We had like this ridiculous thing called a dialogue. I don't know if it's like, basically, it was like a, a rotary phone dial that was like your passcode into your house. Oh wow! Oh, <laughs> and, and so, like you know, I'd, I'd come home from school, dial dial my way in. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And and then um, you know, go into the house and just read. Oh wow! Or watch like movies so it's interesting so it didn't turn you off from movies like no. having that experience where like you couldn't watch it you know like like you're like you said you're you you realize that something was going on you couldn't get the movie and then like puking you know it's yeah like, right i mean there's like this very vis- visceral vi- like visual notion it's like you yeah. know it's like one mo- like most of the time when people like throw up to something that's they tend to just avoid it right like generally yeah just like i don't want to experience that again but <laughs> like in your case it's the exact opposite and then well i mean i can think of things that people don't like i mean mystical things right yeah right right, <laughs> right i mean throwing up isn't necessarily like a bad thing no it's right. not <laughs> but it's i think not, i think but... like by and large we like Determine it to be uh, determine it to be uh, something that oh if you do this you avoid it yeah right. I, I just think like you know the experience of throwing up is so is unpleasant so unpleasant that a lot of people will go out of their way like to avoid doing things that make yeah. them throw up right yeah but it's like once I stopped. You know, but like once, because, stopped, once yeah. I right. stopped it was like I mean because it was basically like a daily occurrence like <laughs> oh, ride in the car yeah. ride in the car go get donuts I like have a very vivid remember, memory of like getting a donut and like puking you know that's probably the donuts and like film right, right. <laughs> and who's gonna stop those right. two things really? <laughs> exactly. so what you're saying is we're not going around Finding things that make you vomit and trying to no, trying it's, to not, it's not like it's not it's daily. Not, it's, okay. it's not a like it's not I'm like seeking. I don't like to puke because I did a bunch of it like between the like around three. You're well versed. Oh, okay, excellent. 
So there's a there's a question Jacob and I went back and forth on on how to properly word this. I don't know if you No, you you do. Okay, you do like you. me personally, I've always been sort of back and forth on whether or not I like the idea of film theory yeah, or, yeah. or uh, you know, film analysis, film studies. Um, when I took the classes and you know, uh, I took it. I took the English classes. I was not an English student, but it was with other English students who had gone through the literature analysis, and they were just pulling all these different things from movies. And I just was always like, "I'm not getting that. Where are you getting this?" And then I go back and forth on like, "Is this bullshit? Is it not bullshit? Like, what? You know?" So to me, I just I can never figure out whether or not film theory is like an important thing to really look at. So what I'm kind of what I'm curious about on your end, as someone who teaches film theory, oh, yeah. likes film theory. Why is it important for us to like study film theory? Like, what, in your opinion, like what is okay the value of it? That's a good question, and um, I have a really simple answer. Okay, and it's gonna go. It's gonna go back to what like because I don't think necessarily like all film theory is equal, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, no, all theory is not equal. (laughs) Um, But I mean. I think, like, theory that talks about the human body, the human sensorium's relationship to film is super important. Okay. Because, I mean, just from sort of, like, understanding the history of, like, human consciousness, like, what what we've been doing for the last little over a century is fantastically weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. And, um, I mean, I, I would say, like, another really sort of, like, mirror uh, text that I think, and this isn't necessarily film theory text, but this is like sort of the point of like David Byrne's book um, about music from a few years ago, where he says that like, you know, the major, like in the past hundred years when we've had recorded music, it's a vast departure from uh, what has been for like the entirety of human consciousness or existence. And, um, I mean, even if we take, like, the, the weirdness of the scenario, like, the, the weirdness of the scenario right now is that we're all here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- as opposed yeah. to, like, being remote. Right. 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 And so it's, like, it's like in, 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 in less than 100 years, we've gone from sort of, like, we all would have to be here to do something to, like, that being the, that being the exception. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really good point. Like, <laughs> like with the podcast itself, you know, like we're recording from right hundreds of miles or so away or whatever. Like, and it, it is rare to like get everyone in a room. Like, yeah. it's actually kind of hard to get people into a room, mm-hmm. even for general events and stuff. Uh, but I like your answer for that because that that to me makes more sense because like now you're talking to the experience of watching the film. It's like. You know, harkens back to kind of the essays I read where they were talking about the theory of like, or like the analysis of cinema and the the experience of being in the cinema versus at home. You know, um, I can't remember who wrote that. So like essay, but yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. So like that to me makes. And then I think where I tend to like really just have issues with film theory is when they say like. That person must have represented this. Oh yeah, no, no. okay. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, I'm anti-representation. Okay. That, I mean. That's perfect because that's that's and that was like all freaking the English and uh, I'm not trying to disparage all the English. Nice. Different. In Do my it. experience with the English classes there, that's what they always wanted to talk about was like 
the metaphor for this, the representation of this, the you know, like that person must not have been that. He's some, you know, that, and it's like, I just. I mean, I mean, I we could use representative arguments. I mean, I think you can use representative arguments at a point, and they're really useful. Like, if we're going to talk about King Kong, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to talk about King Kong, we can say, like, uh, you know, what's the what's the, what's the like main difference between like King Kong and Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're asking that? As yeah. A, yeah. Uh, I haven't watched enough Godzilla to answer that question. <laughs> God's, Godzilla doesn't the- doesn't grab a white woman. Okay. Nah. Right. Then we can then we can sort of talk some representational stuff that's like deep in like King Kong. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, we're blonde not- too, right? Right. All of them are blonde. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In that sense, that that makes more. But sense. But I mean, we don't. Your- I mean, like, but it's better like if we just state that, right? It's right. like more effective if we state that and just sort of like let let it sort of live in the room for a little bit but we don't have to like we don't have to let go well this represents this because that's like that's kind of like giving it away right that's kind of like a like a like a like the sort of uh rule of threes like when you're making like a film like you you can present the thing three times but if you're going to present it more than three times it's like yeah Hmm. that makes sense it also makes sense in the in the context of comparing things like when you talk about comparing King Kong and Godzilla, then it makes sense to talk about certain representations of things. But, yeah, like, just having the... Because I was reading, you know, earlier today that just, like... And this was sort of obvious, I guess, but the fact that, you know, King Kong in the 1933 version represents, like, black black man, essentially, right? The, 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 the structure of it, the color of it, versus the entirely white cast except for the natives who are kind of like Kong in a way uh, you know like so that to me it well I mean there's the, there's like an entire level of like cultural discourse that's operating right and mm-hmm. we don't have to say like this obviously represents it but like the way that we can work with it in terms of like saying well this is potentially what's going on here I mean we can go and look at the director writers love of gorillas since the age of eight if we want to do that right which i mean is there right but to a certain extent like there is something i think like there's something about the first kong film that is tapping into a lot of mythic stuff totally yeah. which was what he was going for right like when he was writing it he like fell in love with the whole first the gorilla but then like building it as a mythos and whatnot um i mean and plus the fact that like that you know they capture Kong, chain him to a boat, and ship him to America. Right? I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's like, how can you? I mean, it's it, it's naive to like it's naive to say that. Oh no, that's not there. Right. <laughs> but, it's like, right. but it's also sort of like overkill if that's the only thing we're going to talk about. So yeah. you have to sort of like that's good you have to create a balance whereby that's definitely in the room and we have to contend with it. But there's like a bunch of other stuff that like yeah okay that that's a good point and that may, and that's why I'm saying it's like it's kind of obvious right there's sort of the obvious I guess metaphor you can say about this movie especially with the historical time period of it and the context and everything. I definitely think you're, you're you're right. That's sort of like level one. Let's get past level one to talk about the other things that this movie brings to the table. Yeah, and 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 so we can go these other places. So we can come back to that and say, oh, well, maybe we see it differently. Maybe we see it in a more okay. complex way. Okay. It's interesting because, like, from my experience, like in a lot of my literature classes that I took, you know, it was like it only was to that level one. For a lot of it, where you have a book and you have like a film, you know, like Werner Herzog's Grizzly Man, and you have to pair it up with like an Ernest Hemingway, you know, thing and, and combine like the wild or something, right? Mm-hmm. And like, 
and have to and you have to basically come up with those representative you know representative ideas and then and it, it, because that's like that's like the assignment um, whereas <laughs> like where your classes weren't like that they were way more fluid yeah. and and open and more open well, which made the conversation that much better yeah <laughs> well, I mean I mean it's it's the it's the way that um, meaning right like it, we can we can like I'm very much against like a fixed meaning right? right because like a fixed meaning if I, I'm, I'm gonna like tell you what it means that's what's the fun in that yeah. <laughs> right I mean that's not fun for me because yeah. I'm not learning anything yeah I mean I know what I think but what I think changes from day to day I would hope right. yeah because <laughs> it, it, it kind of kills the conversation. You're yeah, like, it, it I just mean, ends. I'm not gonna. I, if I'm, the professor's like, "This is what it is." Okay, that's I'm, what it is. I'm. I try to be like very non dogmatic in terms of like this is this is the reading. It's like I'm more sort of like, well, how, how about this? What can we do with it? Yeah, yeah. Like Laura Mulvey cut this scene this way because she was trying to do this. It's like, well, I mean, that's an interpretation, but that's not necessarily exactly why she did it. Right. You know, which that type of theory, too, is interesting because it's like some of it's opinion based, some of it's like logic based, but it doesn't. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) I mean, and I would say Mulvey to her own credit would be it was probably a, I mean is has been a very like extensive reader of Freud right. and so she would know effectively like even if she says <laughs> yeah. that or even if anyone says that to a certain extent it's like it's the it's I mean what's interesting about that like what's interesting about the presentation of a fixed me- meaning is why right like why does it why does it need to mean this right. in this setting yeah, that's actually, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, I'll, st- I'll, I'll, I'll full on go and say, like, Kong, uh, Kong, Cross, Kong, Kong, Kong Skull <laughs> Island, like, the first 30 minutes of the film is, like, really great. Yeah. In yeah, terms they- of, like, because we don't know what we're going to get. Right. And there's, yes. like, some really fun camera work and things that are being, like, presented. Yeah. And once it's sort of, like, you know, once they go sort of the, through the sort of like chaotic storm mm-hmm. and have this like huge money f- shots of like Kong <laughs> destroying everything, <laughs> which I mean, and once that happens, it's like, okay, yeah. I, I'm, I, 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 what else are you going to do? Right. right. Because, because then it just becomes like, not even like the original Kong film. It becomes right. like, like, uh, like the Lost World, not the not the one with Jeff Goldblum because it's got Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> in, but the, you know the, the the early sort of like let's look at these really interesting animatron like not animatronic but like stop motion dinosaurs, right? Or twenty thousand, not no Journey to the Center of the Earth. Sorry, yeah, because it kind of like like King Kong. We like pretty much everyone knows the story of King Kong, but when in in Skull Island, you. It, it flips it on its head, and you don't really you don't really know that the story is going to be different until they are going through the storm. Then it's like, oh, this isn't going to be the same Kong movie that's been remade a thousand different times. Right. <laughs> it totally changes your thought uh, perception. It, yeah, it allows you to be surprised. Yes, yeah, totally. I definitely was like, you know, uh, but we can get into it here in just a little bit. Um, so yeah, let's jump into the two films because um, I'm itching to hear about this. Uh, so our main topics this week are King Kong, its remakes, and the idea of Americans trying to make good monster movies. Um, 
So our first film is 1933's King Kong, a pre-code adventure film. Um, pre-code refers to an era of filmmaking between... And feel free to correct me if I'm no, wrong, no, no. because I'm trying... Like That part of this, too, is like we're just trying Absolutely. to learn things. So if I do say anything wrong, please stop me <laughs> and, and correct me. Um, but it, uh, pre-code refers to an era of filmmaking between the introduction of sound in 1929 and about the mid-1934s. Uh, which brought the motion picture production code censorship guidelines to the film industry. Um, so there was kind of this sort of Wild West period, if you will, uh, when they were kind of able to get away with a little bit more. That was probably the best period. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, and, and it, I mean, like the sort of like darkness. Like every every year we get together and we celebrate the Oscars, but really, what are the Oscars? Right. right? The Oscars are this like the the celebration of founding that like Hollywood had a choice, either except government censorship or self-censor. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yay. Like, <laughs> let's have an Oscar party. No, let's not have an Oscar party. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> I'm totally not into the whole, like, award ceremonies and the big awards and stuff. Um, but that's a long conversation. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like the same thing with like that happened to comics in the 50s. It's like they had a wonderful blueprint and... Uh, music in the 80s yeah absolutely um but a lot of good stuff you know came out of that like not that period though where there was guidelines but they weren't as stringent because the picture the motion picture production code eventually turned into what we know as the mpaa right um because of struggles with that whole the whole system that they had with the production code see i'm honestly looking forward to that discussion too because yeah that history is just, I don't know, it's just ridiculous. But, yeah. How the MPAA is completely asinine. <laughs> well, and also just how it ties in with, like, like, religion and totally. other, like, ideals that just, I don't know, you'd think okay. it wouldn't be so much so tied into that now. I don't know, but it is. <laughs> yeah, right, it's just the fact that there's this tiny group of people with their own motives are deciding. Yeah, yeah, like the the rating for for any film with yeah. almost no standard as to why they choose to let things slide. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah, I mean, you look at like There Will Be Blood. That movie's rated R. There's hardly any swearing. There's really not that much violence or anything. It's rated R. Then there's like James Bond, PG thirteen, where like you know seventy people get killed. It, do, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, yeah. It's, it's well, the James Bond film uh, successfully dehumanized the enemy. True. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, like, whereas There Will Be Blood, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's like if, if, if you're going to, I mean, like, R means, like, R means a variety of things, but R presently means... Uh, you know, like re- real, like it's real. Well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's complex, right? Like complex adult themes. Oh, that, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, right. Well, like what, uh, and uh, and perhaps you know, it means it's like it means that you're not going to see anything that's going to offend. Uh, Do you know you're not going to see something that's going to offend? Yeah. 
In a, I, I mean, in, a P3, in anything but R. Oh, right, right, right. yeah. In, right, ge- right. in general, that's not going to offend like the general sensibilities of right. right. The Whereas P- PG thirteen is like, you, you know, you're pushing it, but it's never threatening in any way, right. shape, yeah, or yeah, form. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Which is always a disappointment, you know. I just, I'm always disappointed. <laughs> or like when like films like Ghost in the Shell, right, comes out the new one, and then I see that it's PG thirteen. I'm just like. Whoa. What? Yeah. Like you it know that they're that they're uh, they did that like I, that there was a there was a decision made. We're going to make this PG thirteen. We're not just going to make the movie and whatever it gets is whatever it gets. Like for me, PG thirteen is like we wanted PG thirteen. You know, instead I think of any rating, real like people make movies to the rating. You know, like the NC seventeen. How you don't want that because it essentially kills distribution. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. you can't you can't advertise for it. So they. They will say, we'll shoot for, we'll put it in, knowing that it's probably going to get NC-17, then dial it back right, down to right, the R, right? right? But like, like you, said, you know, even with R, you know that at a certain point, you're shooting for an R rating when you're right. making the movie. Right. Well, I mean, right, right. Like, like when I was a kid, like, RoboCop was originally going to be rated X. Yeah. And I was so excited to see it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, just was I this mean, pre-vomit or post-vomit? This is post-vomit. <laughs> so, this is like, uh, you know, I was like, oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to like because of you know knowing what it's about, it's going to be troubling. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. I mean, like, I, I, I kind of wish we had like a society that would allow us to have like films like that were violent that could be rated X. Yeah, I agree. Like yeah. this is this is incredibly serious. You know, d- troubling. Yeah, right. Like walk out of the theater type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to walk out of the theater because it's a really just awful film. <laughs> right. Exactly. And like, you know, I think part of the, I think a good example of a movie that's like that, because like, I definitely, and I think all of us can agree that movies don't necessarily need to be a package, like a happy package. It doesn't need to be happy. It doesn't need to leave you at a place where, you know, you went on this kind of ride, but you're up high when you're done. The best ones aren't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think a good example of, of a movie that, that embraced the NC-17 so that it could just be a spiral downwards as Reckon for a Dream, where it's just like, it's depressing, and it's depressing, and it's depressing, and it's depressing, and then it ends. I thought you were going to say Showgirls. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen Showgirls. Show so. um, but, you know, like... I like Paul Verhoeven, though. I, I, I'm, yeah, me too. I, mean, I, I actually don't mind that movie. <laughs> it's, you know, I just... You know, I just think of it like I think of most things that like I have to redeem in some way. I think of it as like you know, it, that's the the real Dale still trapped in the black lodge, right? Right. <laughs> and yeah. this is sort of what the evil Dale is doing. That's actually really that's pretty that's pretty damn. You know, like, I've never thought of you know that. like the Holy new shit. like the last Jedi is you know that's where Diane that's where real Diane goes. Fuck. In and you know so you so at some like point at some point you know she's gonna say fuck you Admiral Ackbar <laughs> <laughs> or, you would hope yeah that would be awesome <laughs> oh man that's awesome uh, no but it's, uh, when we first started this podcast this came up pretty early on where the rating thing where like I almost me personally if I see it's PG thirteen I almost just skip past it like it's just to the point where it's and there are movies that are PG-13 that are good, so it's not necessarily fair of me, but at the same time, it's like, 
you know, like Ghost in the Shell, when you know, when you've seen the original and then you see that it's going to be, P- the new one's going to be PG-13, it's just like, why? And then well, you just lose all hope, kind yeah. of. Why remake an anime? That too. That's <laughs> the biggest question. Why remake an anime? That's like the hardest thing to do. Yeah, because um, like they're going to do Acura next, I think. Oh, and I'm just like, don't touch it. Just uh, don't touch it. I, I mean, I think like the, like the, the model should be the opposite way, right? It's like, it should... I mean, there's there's so many things that would be so much better if they were they were made into anime. Right? Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so almost impossible to remake an anime. A John Wick in anime action. that could be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, all right, let's jump back into King Kong. Um, just do a basic plot summary here. A film crew goes to a tropical island for an uh, exotic location shoot and discovers a colossal ape who takes a shine to their female blonde star. He is then captured and brought back to New York City for public exhibition. Uh, the film was written by James Creelman and Ruth Rose. Actually, it had multiple writers, but those were the two uh, credited for it. Uh, it was directed by Marion Cooper and uh, Ernest Sh- uh, Shodzak. I have no idea how to say that. Uh, stars Faye Ray, Robert Armstrong, and Bruce Cabot, among many other people. Uh, uh, it was produced and distributed by Radio Pictures, which would later become RKO Pictures, headed first by Floyd Odlum, but more famously headed by Howard Hughes, who kind of destroyed that company. So was RKO, <laughs> RKO not RKO at that time? No, no. Radio oh, Pictures okay. at the time, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, it, it, there was some... Someone, I don't know if it was Floyd Odlum, but there was a executive who essentially engineered like this com- combination between a couple of uh, different companies who did different things in the film world as a way to, like, you know, because one per- one company was specializing in this, one company was specializing in this, so they brought it into one ha- one house to kind of vert- vertically integrate, essentially, uh. um, and that eventually became RKO. Oh, cool. Because um, I read yeah. like this film basically led it basically out of like bankruptcy or whatever. Like it, but I'm guessing it was the one before RKO. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, RKO came out afterwards. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. However, this group of companies is well, they made King Kong, which is obviously a historically uh, important and well-received film, but they also did Citizen Kane. So two of the most prominent films in film <laughs> history came out of this company. Um, this version of King Kong went through many iterations before all the pieces came together. Uh, Edgar Wallace conceived the first draft of the script um, before Cooper and Creelman took over to write more drafts, essentially dropping a lot of the initial ideas. Um, there was, I think his first draft was essentially like a lot more fluff and a lot more like friendly monster um, trying to like humanize it <laughs> uh, they didn't, and Cooper specifically didn't want that uh, Horace there's a man named Horace McCoy introduced the idea of the natives on the wall um, I think he pulled that idea from a different film uh, and a lot of the stuff in this film a lot of the production stuff was recycled from other films um Ruth Rose was the one that applied the finishing touches. She was kind of the last person to, to do the last drafts. She essentially streamlined the script, uh, cut out the transportation of Kong. So she's the one who decided to jump right from the island to the theater. Um, she wrote the opening scene with Darrow and Denim, and she wrote rewrote essentially all the dialogue because there was so much fluff dialogue, and they didn't <laughs> want that. Uh, two directors split the duties between special effects and live-action dialogue scenes. That's kind of 
where they drew the line. So one guy did all the stop motion. One guy did all the live action talking stuff. I like it. That makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess they had a really different styles of working with each other. Like one was a slow, meticulous. One was just like get it done. Um, <laughs> so they figured out right away that they wouldn't be able to work together. Yeah. You could guess which one did which scene. Or which which scenes. What do you think? Well, the slow meticulous obviously did the dialogue scenes. Just kidding. No. They, <laughs> they, they, they obviously did the stop motion yeah, scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, because that's like, that's, that's a slow that's a slow process, man. Um, have you ever seen those? Like the like GIFs or whatever of like one scene, you oh, know, yeah. like just to get someone to walk across the screen takes like all day. It's man. And then have you guys seen the new West? This is totally off topic, but the new West Anderson. But Isle of Dogs. Yeah. They try, they all in yeah. full stop motion. Yeah. Like, man, I you can't know, wait. yeah, uh, that's, that's crazy stuff to, to do that nowadays. It's crazy. Um, so there were a total of seven different models of Kong built for the film. Four were full-body models of varying sizes. One was a huge bust of Kong's head for close-ups, and two were his arm. One was an articulated arm, and one was non-articulated, uh, depending on the scenes. Uh, so that's how they got away with all the different shots and everything. Um, movie is probably most well known for its groundbreaking use of stop motion, matte, pa matte painting, rear projection, and miniatures. Uh, combining all these things and, and essentially using them all at the same time, which was uh, really like unheard of basically by that time. Um, stop motion was done by Willis O'Brien, who's actually the teacher of Ray Harryhausen, who would go on oh, to create no a legacy way. in stop motion hmm. special effects. Um... I don't know if Harryhausen had anything to do with this film. No. Probably not, right? Not until, what, he's Mighty Joe Young, I think, the original. Is that when he first started to get into it? Okay, I didn't know if he I was think like, that's... I, was that the first one he was credited for? I think that's the first one he was in. Okay. Which one? Okay. Because there was, like, uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think there was, like, certain issues that only he could sort of, like, suss out. Okay. Okay. When was the first Mighty Joe Young come out? Did, did, like was it forty mid forties? Oh, okay, cool. Okay, so yeah, really a little bit after this then. Okay, then it was well, the second Mighty Joe ago. Young too, right? The one in eighty nine or okay. <laughs> or early nine mid nineties. I remember that one. <laughs> Disney, I think. <laughs> okay. it was, you know, it was during the Homeward Bound kind of. Oh yeah, I remember Homeward Bound. Crazy, crazy. I'm not familiar with any of this. What a monster movie that one was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that raises the question, like, what is King Kong, right? Is it a monster movie? Is it a horror film? Is it a fantasy film? That's a really good question, because Ebert calls it a horror film, but mm. Wikipedia calls it a, uh, like, a monster adventure film. So would a monster adventure film be a subgenre of horror, or... But it's it doesn't just necessarily. Port? I mean, it's Kong Skull Island it would be a monster adventure film, but it's not scary, right? Not to me, but maybe to like a five-year-old, it could be, right? right. <laughs> or a six-year-old? I don't know. <laughs> Is this film rated uh, G? Because then yeah, <laughs> 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 I think it's PG thirteen, right? <laughs> PG thirteen. Yeah. Um, I you know that's a good question. Like what? 
like where's the line like what makes the horror because like I kind of thought that this movie was actually like not scary and that it was like oh my god I need to like close my eyes and not watch it but it actually was kind of like scary and if you think about it at the time mm-hmm. too in, in context like you know you had monster movies sort of around this time but like at this level on this scale you know like this was this must have blown people's minds and really actually legitimately scared people like and I, I agree with what like what Ebert said. He was like, you know, there's something about the way there's something like haunting and creepy about the form of stop motion that they did and how it how mm-hmm. he moves and and you know just the look and everything like how it all kind of comes together. It's like a weird combination of things that you just really can't even reproduce now. There's something about it that's just kind of off. And I definitely like thinking back was like, yeah, there's something that's you know, I laugh because it's kind of funny because it's 1933. And, right. You know, we're not, you, you, that looks ridiculous to us, but there's also something about it that is genuinely kind of... It's kind of uncanny a yeah, little bit. Yeah, exactly. I think that's more un, like uncanny. It's weird, though, because, you know, like I grew up without internet or TV or anything until I got to college. Like, I, I, everything was taped for me. My grandpa taped stuff. So I remember seeing the first King Kong when I was like third or fourth grade. To me... When I, I remember this vividly, watching it, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of the fact that it was stop motion and stuff like that. You know, it was just a movie. Like, I knew, obviously, that it was fake, but I didn't know, you know, of course, like, all the terms and, and you know, rear projection, all that stuff. So, I, when I saw it, I didn't think it was funny you know, or anything. You know, now when I watch it, I can look at, back at it, but now even at my age now, I can look at it, and I, I, I still remember what it was like watching it for the first time, though. And... It's just a weird thing. Like, my level of disbelief... I can disbelieve the original King Kong pretty good because of that memory. However, like, Kong, Skull Island, if anything is CGI, it just pulls me out. Like, I immediately know it doesn't quite work on the same level. Like, like the uncanniness of yeah. the stop motion actually... It, it actually... Like, I don't know how to explain that, but it actually... Like helps. It helps. Like yeah. it helps with that horror part. Or whatever. It gives it like an art <clears throat> aspect to it because I, I don't think a lot of people look at CG as as art. But right. like stop motion, it, it it's like you could like imagine how it's made, or you yeah. can you can um, it, it, there's a style to it. But CG like doesn't quite. You can't like make an artistic choice as much I, I i would argue well i mean it has to do with like what the limits are right with cg you can the I mean, world anything you could yeah. do anything you yeah. want to but yet at the same time here we are again right the same sort of you know thing <laughs> or just i mean the, like the rule of cg is just more of it yeah, right right, yeah. right as opposed right. to like kong where you've got to sort of like i mean there's a degree of acting like that's going into each one of those I mean like if you think about like hand drawn animation it's a similar kind of notion whereby they have to um, they're looking at their face they're looking at what they're drawing they're looking at their face they're looking yeah. at their drawing um, there was this thing like uh, I heard uh, uh, Frank Oz talking about like w- the difference between doing Yoda originally and then doing Yoda for like the trilogies <laughs> right and he he said to like lucas and i forget whoever was in charge of the, the basically you have to limit your what you do with the cg in the same way that we were limited on empire 
in order in order hmm. for like in order for like the character because the character and I think this is what makes the original Kong so like amazing yeah. or like suspend disbelief because there's limits right and like you're having to figure out how to work within these limits yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's so weird because I I feel like you could look at Kong Skull Island I mean we don't know what their schedule was or anything and we could say that their CG was limited just by time constraints for getting the job done and the amount of hours you're you know because the studio is only going to spend X amount of money on Right. For, for the CG. So, all right, we have this many hours to do it. So the, here's our constraints. Yep. So we, we I, I feel like you could look at it that way, but it's, it's, it's the, with CG, you're allowed to kind of go back and refix things. But with, 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 with stop motion, it's kind of like what you did is what it what is. It and is, you don't yeah. get to see that final thing until pretty much the very end like after you did it and then it's like well there's uh, some jitter there some jitter there you know <laughs> but with CG it's like you get to see that final result a lot and yeah. over and over again until you get to this final point where your time runs out <laughs> yeah totally yeah right And but I mean like it's the way that uh, CG like if you fuck up in CG, it's just bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's like you didn't render it well or your models you, your models suck. Yeah. You forgot but, like to check a certain box or something. Right. Yeah. But it's not like it's like, oh, how do I how do I, I I have this thing that I can't do, like and I have this problem that I have to like work around. It's almost like a constant too, because yeah. like the, the, the with the with the stop motion, if they can't do like a hand closing right, it's going to be cor- incorrect for every hand. Yeah. Whereas CGI, it could just be like all the CGI people's hands are great, but the CGI monster's hand is fucked up, and then it just I don't know like. I don't know. That's pro- willing, probably a bad example. But <laughs> I think we're willing to forgive a lot more when it comes to stop motion too. Like when you do CGI, you expect it, you're, you're you know you're you're digitally creating anything you want, so you expect it to be some level of perfection. Whereas like there's something that's inherent about stop motion where you're you know if there is sort of a mess up, it's kind of like oh that's kind of is this yeah, subconscious? I mean, is it- well, I mean what 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 would be an adequate like what would be an adequate way of putting like CG on the same footing? And I would say like you know Lovecraftian creatures, right? Like things that are beyond right. representation. That, yeah. I mean, if you could somehow demonstrate that, not just their how you would see them but how you weren't seeing them and use CG to do that that'd be that's right. true yeah, yeah, yeah. That right but sense. I mean you, yeah. we don't we're not, but nobody's doing that right, right. well that, that brings fortunate. us back to to Zygote that Oat Studios short did yeah. you watch that Tony oh that's man. it they they have a CG monster in it and it's um it it's just like a bunch of arms coming it's out made and out of human arms, arms and human. Yeah. That's it. Its whole body is just human arms and legs. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. I'll pull up an image of it so you can see. And how it moves, like you could. I think you could do stop motion for it, but it's better. I I determined for me that it was better in CG because of how it's kind of moving through. Because it's like literally like hundreds of arms yeah. moving, and and you yeah. need that constant like. Yeah. 
Like it, it, it's uh, <laughs> gosh. fun. Yeah. No, it, it's 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 pretty good for. Yeah. I think it's their best. It's yeah, only I mean, like six minutes, but and I mean like that's I think like that's where CG should be. CG should yeah. be figuring out like this new like what can, zone. Yeah. What can, what what does CG do really good, and what are the challenges that CG has that you can only do with CG? Right. Right. And that's where that's one thing where the the hidden visual effects that that come into movies is is where it lies you right, know and right. where people don't know that right. it even because you know movies like um like that Jake Gyllenhaal joint that came out a couple of years ago Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler yeah. yeah a lot of CG went into that movie it, and all in switching his hair like just switching <laughs> out what his hair looks like oh really yeah so it's like like no one knows that that yeah. is happening, yeah. but it's making the movie better. Whereas films like 2001 or even King Kong, the effects and stuff used there were like like the end of 2001, right? Where like the, the the alien ships and all that stuff. It was so never before seen like in any other movie that they could get away with it. Now it looks a little dated, but because it was so brand new. People were it, there was on, only an awe factor in that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, same with King Kong. Like there was no creature in any other movie like this before, where it was just it was everybody had to be in awe, you know? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think what you're getting at, Jacob, too, is like when CG, like landscape CGI, can definitely work better. I think when it starts to become the focus, like yeah. in this case with with Kong Skull Island, you see. King Kong in this high key lighting when you know there's nothing hidden yeah. and it's the focus and you can just revel in the fact that it's CGI and you just know it you know that's kind of where it becomes like the issue I right. think you know and Un- unless it's Zygote because right. Zygote is that and then but it's it still it works. works it works I think also works too because like if you would think of the stop motion process for Zygote to to animate every part of it would just be so time consuming that I like, I, I there's no way yeah, yeah I don't think it's possible so in that sense I think I'm you know I'm, it's more willing to kind of forgive right it and it kind of harkens to what you said where like Tony, what you said Tony where like the unbelievable or the things that are so far out into fantasy is where CGI can really start to pick pick up because we just don't even know, you know, like right, like and, how, it, yeah. And, and I think Blomkamp is proving too that like you can do CGI that fits into your film. That's not just glaring CGI, right. you know. Yeah, but like that, that's why District Nine was like like baller. Yeah, yeah. District Nine, Ex Machina, same thing. You know, yeah. Alicia Vikander's character, it's she she looks human, but yet parts of her are and you know, or, you know, robotic. Mm-hmm. But you don't really by a certain point in the film, maybe the first time you see her, you're like, oh, good CGI. But by the end of the film, like, I'm not thinking about the CGI anymore. I'm thinking about it's the character. Part, it's I'm part thinking of her. About, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. so there are there are some examples where it's you know it's still the focus point, but you actually suspend your yeah. belief, which is cool. I mean, Mad Max had a uh, mix of both of those things where yeah. her arm was not the focus point, but they had the CGI, you know, right. she had a green right. screen kind of around her arm, but then, like, the the world, especially when they're in, like, the canyon with all the water where uh, Immortan Joe is at, like, that's all obviously CGI, but it kind of works because it's just, like, landscape, and we don't... Yeah. Right. And then they mix in the real stuff. That's also the thing, too. When you mix in real with CGI, that's when it starts to really work because you have real stuff there. There's something tangible there. And that's what's weird about Mad Max is, is like, they would do, like, tire, like shots of tires 
and like animate those in post. Like they yeah. they like spinning, animated spin. Just they'd just be stationary. So like a car, like driving off and kicking up dirt, that would just be a CG shot. And it's just mixed in there, and it's really freaking hard to tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of their shots were like they had their vehicles there, and they'd do small explosions. And then they'd go through and they'd add in all these extra explosions and like maybe maybe drop a car in here and there or a person or something. But like they had a plate that was like mostly real, right? A plate to work off of like, and then you can compile your shot from there. And I think that's kind of where it works, you know. And then like I, I think a lot of stop motion stuff even nowadays is touched up with CG. You know, have you have you seen Kubo? And the two strand that was like yeah eighty ninety percent stop motion. And then obviously there's certain things. That you have to just kind of like touch up via yeah. VFX. Yeah. I know, like the the big old. I think at the end of the Lake of movies, they have like a shot of like people making it. You know, <laughs> like to like reveal the process, like as if the kids had no idea, you know, or the adults had, had no idea like how it works. But I remember at the end of that one. Or it could have been this behind-the-scenes thing. They showed like the big skeleton that yeah. monster, and seeing that for me kind of cheapened it a little bit because it was this big machine that was doing all the stop motion and they did it in one long fluid like shot and it was like that to me that isn't really like the craft of stop motion that's like that's just yeah because it's not that frame by frame moving it which they did do for the movie Mm -hmm. but that scene which I don't I don't know how the hell they would do that scene without (laughs) computers so (laughs) so that was cool you know but um yeah, there's just something about seeing that. It was like, oh, that was kind of disappointing. I thought that was all handmade, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't, I don't know if there's I mean, anything to do with that. But Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's. I think it's using the technology to solve sort of like a discrete problem. Right. Like um, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, the, the, the battle in the mines mm-hmm. in that room where they... You know, where they come up with a totally different way of filmmaking and uh, use that. Yeah. What what part are you talking about? Um, in the Mines of Moria? In the Mines of Moria when the cave troll comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah. When it, like, pops in. Yeah. What part is the, the, the totally new... The, um, it, using the notion of the digital camera to guide you through the shot. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I remember my dad coming out of the theater, you know, we were, we all came out of the theater and my dad, that was the scene that he was just like, how did they do that? Like how, you know, did they have a helicopter in some like area <laughs> that they somehow took out all the, the footage from around it? Yeah. They created you know, a, like, he created a virtual camera, yeah. a virtual camera position in order to like map out how to shoot the whole thing. And, but see, but my, what's funny, because my dad, I mean, he doesn't really know a lot about filmmaking process or anything like that, really. You know, so, but especially 2001, when that came out, like, the, the fact that a virtual camera would never have entered his head. Like, I remember just, I, but I remember vividly just saying, like, how did they do the scenes in the, in Moria, especially with, like, you know, the, the, the bridges that they have yep. and, like, you know, hmm. things falling down and then just the troll itself, like, probably the first full CGI, like, creature where it's, like, doing, like, fast motions and it actually looks fairly real. Like, right. it was just, yeah, that whole sequence, I remember just, like, really standing out for sure. <laughs> well, you can really see, like, Peter Jackson's love of King Kong 
like the, the, the original King Kong in, in King Kong no literally he literally remakes it almost scene for scene um, adding the one scene that you could never see that exactly right, too that right. was great so this, the scene he's, Tony's referring to is the uh, where they fall down the ravine and there's a sequence where they fight off the, the insects the spiders or whatever mm-hmm. that was supposed to be in the original one but they cut it um, and then just burnt it or something it disappeared I hope it um, gets found someday yeah I mean because so. King Kong was originally like what 120 minutes and they cut it down to yeah they cut it down to 100 so. yeah. yeah and exactly. so there's like 20 minutes just gone. Just gone. Just gone. Oh, in film history. It just reminds me of like, Metropolis, right? Where, right. Like, that footage, you, everybody thought, yeah. forever gone. And, and then, then like, actually found some. And then every, like, you know, like, every few years, oh, what's this? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> what so this, we just talked about one. Uh, was it Reefer Madness? No, no. It was, oh, no, like, no, no, no. the last couple of episodes. Night of the Living Dead. There was that, and then, well, Vertigo was also that. Vertigo was almost lost. And then I think Night of the Living what did we just talk? I can't remember the film. One of the ones we just talked about, man like with the striker movie or, or oh, the man with the movie camera has got lots of stuff. Yeah, that's gone. Oh, really? Oh, there was God. one where the guy was—he was like a sound preservationist. Oh, and he and found it. He found. He stumbled oh. on. God damn it! I wish what? I could remember what we were talking about. <laughs> um, but he stumbled on the film, and then before oh, Runner. it was Blade Runner. Or I was, was Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. He stumbled on like a seventy-millimeter oh, print cut. for the final cut. For the final, yeah, yeah. So for the final cut. So there was the dire- uh, the director's cut, which was not a director's cut, and then the uh, <laughs> right. No, the director's <laughs> cut was what he found, um, and it was like a seventy-millimeter version that he just stumbled on one day. Yeah. And then they started showing it. People loved it, so they released it as the director's cut. And then they essentially took that, and then he and Ridley Scott were able to actually <laughs> sit down and like work out what Ridley Scott wanted which became the final cut that's crazy yeah. we still run into something like that you know it's like it's like, it's like gold <laughs> yeah it's like what uh, the hateful eight with Tarantino or some people say Tarantino but others say Robert Richardson they just stumbled on those vintage lenses or whatever which yeah. is what it, it was lenses from like the 60s yeah 66 cartoon uh, yeah there was, yeah cartoon was yeah. the last film they used those lenses on uh, and then hateful eight and like just stumbled on him when yeah. he was in a panic. Yeah, he like, like tripped over him or then something. They yeah, for, uh, <laughs> then they were used for uh, like two shots in Rogue Rogue One. Oh, nice. Um, and there was and then well, they just, wanted just two. Yeah, there's like they two couldn't shots afford the other uh, towards the end that he wanted in the in those super. Oh. Greg Fraser, the, the DP for that film, wanted him. But oh, interesting. And then uh, to kind of tie it back to the yeah, God, and there was a new movie that was going to shoot it all in those but because Rogue One was borrowing the lens for like their two shots the whole film of this other film decided not to use <laughs> if those yeah. shots even made it in the yeah. movie yeah, yeah it's oh. towards the end when like um, during the big invasion sequence the beach sequence or whatever not invasion but the beach oh. fight thing. oh yeah I don't know yeah. <laughs> freaking long ass sequence yeah. uh, the Normandy version of, yeah, uh, yeah yeah Star Wars Star Wars, Wars Normandy. <laughs> Normandy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no tying it back around to the King Kong and like processes though uh, there was a couple of things I want to talk about that they just it's two really crazy processes they did and I don't know how they came up with these ideas um, beyond their the, the stop motion stuff so uh, double exposure was one uh, so basically they would control which part of the frame was exposed at a given time, run it through again, and expose the second part of the frame. Um, there's also two processes they use called the Dunning process and the William process. 
Uh, basically, in short, like the dunning process is the use of blue and yellow lights and two separate types of film, quote, bypacked into a camera, which allowed for live action shots to, quote, interact with stop motion shots. Oh, wow. So if you imagine hmm. the film kind of one on top of the other running through the camera, one film sensitive to yellow light, one film sensitive to blue light won't pick up. Huh. The yellow and the blue, vice versa. It's like um, those th- old 3D movies from the 90s with the red and blue <laughs> glasses. You know, you got yeah. red on one side, blue on the other. Yeah, oh, pretty much exactly like that, yeah. yeah. Um, and the film is sensitive to one or the other, so it looks, you know, that's how they got it to kind of the two things to interact. And one example of this uh, is uh, during the scene where Kong grabs the plane out of the air and the plane crashes. So that's, they use, you know, real planes flying around but then had to get it so that he grabbed it and then he dropped it and to do that this, this process is how they kind of got those two to work That's crazy. Um, the Williams I guess it's Williams process uh, was a bit different and instead of using the different lights it used an optical printer that combined a projector and a camera so that strips of film could be combined in a single composite image this allowed them to film the foreground, uh, the stop-motion animation, the live-action footage, and the background at the same time to combine them into one shot. An example of when this process was used is when Kong was shaking the sailors off the log. Um, and I think it was also used when he was opening the door and chasing the, the villagers down um, through the door. Um, and so that's... I, and I didn't dig too much into that because that process is... I don't. I'm not. No yeah, that's crazy. To, to that's that's that, just insane. That's wow. what the process is called. If you do want to look it up, 1933, um, and they were doing that, and they were Damn. doing that's crazy. And so I'm, that's why I was really impressed by this movie because just how much it like they did to like if you just read the production history of this movie, it's so long. I bet they couldn't even recreate it. it now. You know, I don't think so. <laughs> It'd be CGI. <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter Jackson did though. <laughs> But if they were to do it like this with the stop motion and, and do all the, the the reverse, you know, the rear projection, all that stuff, you know, I doubt they would be able to do it and pull it off. I mean, like, like you know, the last one I could think of that even did some of those effects were like Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, which was like what ninety one, ninety two, and that was like it. Yeah. You know, like well, I, mean, I think map paintings get used right quite a bit. But I mean, I'm talking about like all the old school like effects yeah. of like you know playing with shadows and lights and, and just, you know, all the old school stuff, but I don't know if they I, use it anymore. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if you could recreate I, I 100% don't think you can recreate And also because the, the camera the type of the, ca- the type of camera they're using obviously isn't going to be the same, isn't going to be the same type of camera they use now, so things they could get away with I don't know that's just crazy. Right, yeah, but, but even no just like how stop motion works you can't recreate that just period you know what I mean like you can't recreate you can move his hand down but you can't move it in the same exact way that it was moved down you know what I mean like that's just impossible unless you had like you know the Xbox like uh, eye (laughs) sensor thing that like read the entire movie and I don't know where I'm fucking going with this. <laughs> yeah, you had a supercomputer yeah. analyze the movie and recreate it. Maybe that well, would work. Well, like what Tony was saying earlier, where it's like they were encountering problems, and this was a way, uh, one form of how they got got over certain problems, and this form of stop motion is how it how it happened. Those, the mechanisms and the machines they built was how they, like, you know, they planned out, like, I want to have a monster on the top of the building. How do we do this? Well... A bunch of creative people got together and figured out that if we build a monster like this, then we can have it move in certain ways, and 
and then that's what we have on the screen, right? Right. right. Like studios had like sort of crazy R and D departments. Crazy R and D. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Essentially, whereas, whereas like now it's just for most films, it's like, well, let's see what we can do with CG. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, our, all the R and D is essentially packed into we can get it on screen with CGI, and that's about it. Right. Um, and that's. I mean, the Star Wars films can do that now because, like, they're. they're I mean, but who else can? <laughs> exactly. Right. It's Star Wars. Their budget is infinite. So. Well, I mean, and, like, the Lord of the Rings films could do it as well because the budget was. Yeah. Was stupid. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Totally. But it's like, can you imagine like being a filmmaker and just saying like, okay, well, we have this specific problem, we'd like to solve it, and why don't we talk to the guys in our day? Yeah, I, I can't think of no. They would just be like, no, that's a waste of money. Why are we doing that? You know. Like, <laughs> and I think that's kind of what a uh, problem of recreation too is like. It'd be so expensive to try and recreate yeah. it the way they did it. Yeah. It'd mm-hmm. Just it'd come down to why go to R and D? Just CGI it. Because you could hire one guy just on his computer. Or they could have to hire all those other people exactly. you know, right. to do all the yeah. I mean, stuff. and like, what was the what was the wage for like people who were doing the stop motion sure. in like thirty th- in like you know the middle of yeah the depression? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Right. I mean, that's like why you can, you'll never you'll never have no, like right. you'll never have like you can't recreate Warner Brothers cartoons or classic Disney no. because yep. basically those were non-union yeah. employees who were working at like. <laughs> Basically, totally exploitation. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, like that, even yeah. all the extras in the film. Like, yeah. I wonder, like, you know, like how, many, like, it, yeah, this is crazy. Well, that, maybe, uh, maybe you got some food. Maybe, yeah, yeah, I get paid in food. Well, because now they, they, for a lot of VFX, they will will ship it out to to China or to India yep. at, at these houses where yep. people get paid like dirt, you know, for, to to do this work to do all the fine you know like say you you shoot a shot and you're like oh you know what i wish we could throw a different background on here like i wish we shot this in a green screen you could send it out to india and someone will go through frame by frame and mask out every strand of hair you know out of that so just so you could put a different background there but honestly it's probably cheaper to to go reshoot it, but sometimes it's not, you know? And sometimes you can't. Just Sometimes you actually can't. Yeah, maybe you just lost your actor. Even shows like Family Guy apparently outsource, like animation show, you know? Outsourcing is just kind of the game when it comes to visual effects nowadays. Yeah. Um, well, because that's where it's cheap, you yeah, know? Oh, totally. we can do this for 10000 here. And I'm just guessing a random number. Or we could do yeah. it for 4000 overseas. Exactly. Why would we do it here? You know, exactly. there's... Yeah. When you have to spend $20 million just to get your actor on the set anyway, you know, they're going <laughs> to cut corners in other places, so... Right. Just do a scan of your actor and have someone else come in who will do it for 10 bucks an hour, you know? <laughs> then physically put their, the actor's face on the on the $10 an hour actor. Well, they, they got in trouble. For, like, Robert Zemeckis got in trouble for that with the second Back to the Future movie, right? With, uh... What's that guy's name? He's an interesting dude. Oh, man. He played the... the is it Crispin Glover? Crispin Glover. Yeah, they, they, I mean, he did I'm, that. I'm thinking of like the entire yeah, cast of yeah, Back to yeah. the Future, and it's like it's it's, it's Crispin Glover, right? Yeah. yeah, so they they did that for him because they, he wasn't actually in the second film, and then they used his likeness, and they sued, and they won, and oh weird, yeah. And so so they in the shots in Back to the Future two where it's kind of revisiting the first film. 
they kind of they were like, hey, I wish we had an angle over here, and they kind of put like a stunt double type. Yeah, and then they had like a they sculpted like a whole face thing, and oh, I want to say they did some computer stuff for with it. I wow, think, you know, it was back in the day, but Zemeckis was doing weird stuff like that, like with Death Becomes Her, you know, the whole, you know, yeah, <laughs> some of that weird stuff. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. He got in tr- yeah, he got in big trouble for it. All right, so I just want to speed through what I have and then maybe talk into Skull Island a little bit, but I really want to get to this idea uh, that you had, Tony, with, like, American remakes and specifically talking about these two as a remake. Um, uh, where was I? Uh, King Kong Score was the first feature-length musical score written for an American talkie, quote, talkie film, uh, the first major Hollywood film to have a thematic score rather than background music, the first to mark the use of a 46-piece Orchestra and the first to be recorded on three separate tracks: sound effects, dialogue, and music. Oh, so a lot of firsts for this movie, which is why I guess it has such a legacy. Uh, the second film is Kong Skull Island that came out this year, earlier this year. Um, slightly different plot: a team of scientists explore an uncharted island in the Pacific, venturing into the domain of the mighty Kong, and must fight to escape a primal Eden. The film was written by Dan Gilroy, Max Bornstein, and Derek Connolly. It was directed by Jordan Voigt Roberts. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. Stars Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston, Samuel Jackson, John C. Reilly, and John Goodman, among many other people. Um, the film is the reboot of the King Kong franchise, and the second film to be in Legendary's quote monster verse that they are trying to develop into a franchise. The first being Godzilla, uh, which is why they brought in uh, I can't remember which writer. Whatever writer did Godzilla, he was the first person to draft out. Um, oh, Bornstein. He was the first person to draft out uh, Kong, Skull Island. Um, director Voight Roberts specifically wanted a very simple Kong that was heavily influenced by the 1933 version. So in, in Peter Jackson's version, it was more like a gorilla where it walked, you know, had walked on all fours, kind of. This was the, the bipedal version. Uh, it also took inspiration... Um, for the creatures and the idea of the ecosystem from Princess Mononoke, Evangelion, Spirited Away, and Pokemon. Um, and probably the most obvious influence for this film is the iconic pop- Apocalypse Now, which yeah. writer Max Bornstein, uh, who wrote the first draft, like I said, states basically that was like his first influence uh, was that movie. That's how he pictured it. Uh, the overall arc of the story is very similar to Apocalypse Now and Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Um, some shots are straight up homages to that movie. Like when they first come into Vietnam, is almost the yeah. almost exact same tracking shot. Yeah, that, that um, actually took me out. <laughs> totally did me too. I was like, really? Uh, yeah, it was it was a little too too on the nose. Um, and one of the initial uh, one of the initial IMAX posters is an homage to yeah. an original Apocalypse Now poster. Um, so very much. Uh, you know, deeply influenced it's, by that. It's funny because I just watched uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, and they there's a lot of similar stuff in that film too with Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. It went so far as there's a part like like graffiti on the wall at the Woody, Woody Harrelson's uh, soldiers like hangout um, where it says Ape Apocalypse, which I thought was actually kind of <laughs> which is actually kind of a cool little like play on on it. But um, but they didn't they did it very subtly more. Something. It was like an Easter egg, sort of yeah, like yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. And like you know, Woody Harrelson have you know the same bald you know haircut mm-hmm. as you know Marlon Brando, stuff like that. So it wasn't as in your face as you know the beginning yeah. of this film. <laughs> yeah, this this movie wore its influences on its sleeves for sure. <laughs> um, and although it was like you know mostly 
visual effects as opposed to practical effects. A lot of it was filmed on location in Vietnam and Hawaii, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to talk about this idea of this, like, American need for monsters, but how we, like, you know, we, we don't get it in the way that, like, let's say Japanese people do. And I, I one reasoning, you know, that I know of is that the Japanese people develop the monster as a literal metaphor for us, essentially. Um uh, for for Americans, for Americans, got it. it was like it was. We were the monster coming in to you know with like the bomb and everything else, right? So there's uh, inspiration for why their monsters came about. Whereas Americans are just seems like they just want the monster that just destroys everything and the hero to kill the monster, right? Um, or I mean, like I, the way that. Uh, I mean, there's a very rich tradition in Japan, like cultural notion of like you know spirits being in things, right? Which um, kaiju sort of like draw upon, right? Um, but I mean, like what what? I mean, this gets us back to sort of like what it, uh, King Kong as a monster in 1933. Um, can Americans make a monster film post-1945? That's a good question. I mean, because, like, who would our monsters be? I mean, for, I guess, in a literal sense, you know, especially in, like, modern, like, video game culture, the monster is always a specific country of people. Yes. Russia or China. Mm-hmm. It's never a metaphorical thing. So that is a good question. Like, what would our monsters even be? What would we draw from as a to create the metaphor of the monster? You know, I I don't know. Well, is not I'm not trying to answer the question, but zombies are kind of like that. Like they're they're yeah, it's like a, the enemy within, right? Yeah, it's, it's the, yeah the enemy within, which we <laughs> Americans are the enemy, so every, everyone knows that. I guess. What about Nazi zombies? <laughs> <laughs> the Nazi zombies. The Nazi, that's a good question. No, but that's, like, good that, that's true. Like, in general, we're kind of viewed as a monster. If you were to take the look at, from an outside perspective, if you look at what we do in the world, yeah. Like, or what we do at home, right? Or what we do at home, exactly. Like, we are, we are essentially our own monster. So I guess in that sense, maybe, like, certain horror films, you know, because horror is always used as, like, the the genre with all the metaphors essentially like I guess certain horror films could be our monster yeah I mean like I, I like think about like films that like have been I think fairly successful like American monster movies would be like Cloverfield yeah mm-hmm. and you know you know uh, the Cloverfield Lane uh, what is it 10, ten, ten, ten Cloverfield ten, Lane. Lane yeah, yeah. um but those are less about the monsters, right? As opposed to like the people the, in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of the more successful monster movies always have a character or characters who are the true monsters, right? And I think Skull Island tried to touch upon that a little bit with like the Samuel Jackson character, kind of. But that rings so false. It totally right? does. Yeah. I totally I mean, agree. It's yeah. it's like like he has this interesting shot, like 
when before they've left and it's raining and he's like he's just he's really like honestly sad about like he's sad about losing like everyone he's lost Mm -hmm. and he's like it's like genuinely mourning and it's like it's it's not like apocalypse now right it's like he's not like He's like the Samuel Jackson's character is not going to go to like resort to cannibalism, right? right? There's 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 no sort of like, I mean, this is like normal war trauma, and we're supposed to ex- ex- accept, or we're supposed to like justify some ways in 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 it that like this normal war trauma is going to drive him to like feel that he's going to be able to get some sort of revenge right. or, or set things right. straight. No, totally. And then the whole time you're just kind of like. I, at least I felt I was like, dude, just get over it. Like, <laughs> something, you know, yeah, like, like let it go. Like, yeah, yeah. The certain, like you said, it's so it's so one dimensional and such a lame kind of like the the revenge draw. I like revenge movies, but those tend to have some, you know, like the the character on the revenge path has something that got to them at a, at a level that's deeper than just I was wrong it was there's something yeah. more to it whereas this was like he went in he thought he was the badass the the gorilla said no and he's like well I'm going to prove that I'm the badass essentially <laughs> you know yeah right like that's that's you know that's it's not even like an interesting like game that little kids would play <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly and like you don't care enough about any of the people in the movie to like even care about him caring about them yeah exactly like, right yeah. it's they even make the joke about the dude who tries to to kill himself suicide bomb and then yeah. fails and then you just kind of <laughs> laugh yeah it's like cool you're an idiot all the characters in the movie are idiots even the the one guy who's like eating a sandwich like after after they're like yep. oh hey you're not just like wildly like crazy like what the fuck just happened he's like now nah, whatever it's a day's work and he's just like eating a sandwich <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like the movie like I feel like it like knows how it almost like knows how ridiculous it is um, it's funny cause like those type of scenes though like shot in a film from like the 60s or 50s or something was way more troublesome where it's like wow this guy must really be shell shocked or whatever cause he is eating a sandwich and he's not like freaked out like all the other guys and like but now we've seen that so much, and it's become a, like a cliche of sorts. Right. Where now it's just like, okay, we're supposed to buy into that now. You didn't mm-hmm. earn it like yeah. these other like we films need the before next. had to. Yeah. yeah. Like, wait, like, what's the step beyond this right. sort of a thing? Yeah. The resorting to cannibalism that would have been pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and then John C. Riley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was. <laughs> <laughs> should have been a twin. There should have been two of them. I think it would have been way better. He's like or digitally like, put know, two of Tim them. Tim and Eric are there somehow. But they're actually like leading. They're actually like right. The directors. <laughs> we don't know until the end. Oh, yeah, they take it. We have full control. <laughs> Dude, if it, turned, if, oh my God. if it turned into sort of a Monty Python thing, where it ended with those two directing this crazy King Kong film. It would have been such a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that'd be, yeah, that'd be yeah. super interesting. It'd be interesting. Uh, um, be weird as shit. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole scenes with John C. Riley are weird as shit. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're so weird. I'm just waiting for him to, like, either, like, either to become, like, you know, 
a Tim and Eric kind of thing or like Wreck It Ralph, you know? Right. <laughs> and it's unfortunate too because you know that character was was supposed to be similar to Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, but he's like totally from a different movie. Right. Yeah, that's what's right. He's like totally from yeah. a different movie. Yeah, totally. I'm like, if they played that up, I thought it would like. I thought it could have it could have worked, but it, 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 the thing that saddens me the most is that you know that that's what they where they got the inspiration for that character was from, mm-hmm. like that scene in Apocalypse Now, and it just like just doesn't. But also, I think maybe you know it's work. also like a, the trouble of having like what three writers. And and maybe not well, the, or more. The original probably you know had that many. It's true. It's yeah, true. it had like five people yeah. who got their hands on it. But even these guys, like, you know, the one writer Bornstein, I, read, I was reading this uh, interview with him, and he was like, you know, he didn't really feel bad about that. You know, he saw portions of him and portions of everyone else, and all the different scripts and stuff. So it seemed like. In terms of writing hell, I don't know if this movie had one. I think it just had multiple people who were kind of, like, touching on it, you know? It's just weird because I've noticed that, you know, there's a difference between, like, films from, like, you know, 70s on down where if there was a team of writers or a group of writers, it seems like it was more coherent. Like, they were kind of all on the same page. Whereas you see films like, you know, Suicide Squad, all these other movies that are written by a couple different people, and the voice throughout the film just goes up and down or completely yeah. different directions and it just not not everything doesn't align um as well as you could tell they were going for and i wonder why that is you know well like, you also have films like 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 birdman had like 25 writers on it you know <laughs> really? and that w- seemed pretty like like it was a single True. singular really voice. That I don't people think yeah. but but yeah. what's great about that film though is it doesn't have like any like really studio like okay you know again that was an R-rated one right it wasn't mm-hmm. like aiming for a PG-13 audience it wasn't aiming for our, like getting all these all this money like Kong Skull Island was right right or Suicide Squad where like they were it was going for the they were going for like art, okay yeah. we're gonna try and get as many people to see this movie as possible you know type of thing and maybe that's the difference yeah. And, and it's for the next one, right? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, because the Godzilla film was. I mean, that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I did not like the yeah. Godzilla film. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't even watch it. Yeah, it's. Well, you've seen you've seen monsters. Yeah. Yeah, monsters is great. Yeah, monsters is just. I mean. Like Godzilla, is such like is like eight steps down. Yeah, yeah. But that's how it always is. Like some of these directors that do great films like Monsters, and then they get into the studio system, and their work just it, it just goes down. It disappears. Like yeah. it's like their work is like gone almost. But I think I think that's not necessarily like the director's fault. Mm-hmm. All the, the most of the time, I think it's like again the studio's like, nope, we're gonna have you do it this way. Because yeah, we're, we're trying paying you money for well, this. Well, yeah, we're trying to do it this way. You know, and, 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 you know, which which of these, like, tentpole actors are we going to be able to bring back for right. Congress as Godzilla? Yeah. That's a good point, too. Yeah, because eventually you know that they're going to want to sell the likeness of, of the actors and toys and stuff, too. This is mm-hmm. what this is building to. That's why he wanted, in, in Voight Roberts, the director, said he wanted a Kong that is so simple that a third grader could end up drawing it. And he he was he hoped quote unquote that it would be so iconic too like 
It's like, dude, you just stole it from the freaking 1933 King Kong. You just made it already. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? Well, no, they want it to be like a kid saw it on the movie, so now he wants the Kong toy. He wants the two-legged fucking monster thing, right? Right, right. He wants Tom Hiddleston because he's the badass, you know, like so he must be getting a lot of residuals. Who? Which one? <laughs> I don't know. Like, so we talked about this a little bit, but it's this idea of like uh, the ability to recycle directors is what studios are looking for. Because if you look at Godzilla and uh, Kong, and then I don't know, name multiple bigger films besides like the like uh, Star Wars and stuff. There's these directors that, in, in case of Godzilla and Kong, both directors had one film prior to. Uh, and they were given these huge franchises to do, and it's basically that it, they're cheap, so the studio doesn't spend the money on them, they spend the money on the t- tentpole actors, and then if the director does well, okay, then we can, he's not going to have the the past or the movie baggage behind him to to say, I want X more, X millions more to do the next movie, they'll be like, okay, cool, I want to do the next movie, the studio's like, cool, pay a little bit more, whatever. The movie tanks, the studio doesn't take a hit. They blame it all on the director, and they swipe the director out, <laughs> yeah. and they bring in a new one. Because they're looking for the next, like, J.J. Abrams. Or Basically. <laughs> and they're looking for cheap labor. And these, these directors who have one film behind them, like, that's that's cheap labor. Yeah. You know? Like like I said, when you have to pay Tom Hiddleston $20 million just to get him on set, or Samuel Jackson $20 million just to get him on set, that's where all your... that's This movie had, like, $180 million budget or something, 160. Most, you know, 80% of that was actors. It's crazy because, like, cast. the new Blade Runner was $130 million, So it was, like, less than Con. But oh the fact God. that they spent it all on, well, you know, true. sets and, yeah, and yeah. effects right. and stuff, yeah. right? Because it was that's such crazy. a minimal cast. Oh, Whereas Kong was about... Shit. How many reaction shots of actors can we fit into this one movie? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, how many times can we see them so that we can sell their likeness later? That's... That's it. And then, you know, trying to connect it to Godzilla and obviously the, the monster verse with Mothra and, and uh, Rodin or whatever the hell his name is and King, uh, whatever I can. Mona or something? It's like King Goliath. Yeah, something like Gigiridon or something like that. Yeah. So, like, there's these big monsters. And do you do, at the end of the film, there's a after credit scene. That, oh, I turned it off. <laughs> it's it's a scene. It's literally just like there's other monsters, and they show a projector of like cake oh, drawings of. Oh yeah, it's like monsters. in their headquarters of the of whoever of uh, the guys who were with John Goodman. We didn't, oh, we didn't even, dude, and the Chinese oh. chick. We didn't even talk about John Goodman. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, let's talk about John Goodman. Let's do it. What do you What do you want to talk about with John Goodman? I think you just wanted to bring it up. Oh, I, just, I, mean, I, I think I think like that whole story, like the beginning story, is like like the first half hour of the film. I think is really interesting. Yeah, because, and then also because it's different. Yeah, because like John Goodman is like playing a really. I mean, he's playing a character who has to like openly deceive everyone, mm-hmm. including us, to a certain degree. Right. True. And he's actually. Uh, the costuming they did is actually a callback to Denim from 1933. Right. And he plays, a, you know, up. the reasoning is different, but they play the same character in the sense yep. that they have to deceive everyone to get him to the island. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, I think it's because he was, they imply that he was from Godzilla and he was the sole survivor of the, the boat or right. whatever. Um, that's why he's knows about these monsters and whatnot. Hmm. Um, but then, yeah, the, the black dude and the Chinese chick 
I can't remember their names. I can't remember anyone's name in this movie, actually, so I'm not being racist. <laughs> but I can't... Uh, they show up in the scene and are, like, secretly a part of this... Uh, it starts with an M. The organization starts with an M. Yeah, and they seem to have, like, way more funding now. Yeah. Like, we're, <laughs> like, you know, John Goodman's, like, begging to get to go out there. Pulling in, like, every last favor. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> but they, I think they imply that he's from a different agency, right? Right. Like he's going to the CIA or someone. I don't, I don't know even where he went. Um, but then at the end, it shows these two characters coming in, and they're part of like an even more secret clandestine agency. You know? Yeah. Like, and they have got like all these photos of like exactly, ooh, you know, exactly. And then they show like the projector of like cave drawings of here's Godzilla, here's Mothra, here's uh, Rodan, and and stuff like that. You know. So they can all bring them in, and there can be some crazy five-way monster battle. See, I'd be more interested in, in seeing the films of, with those other c- creatures because I don't know them. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, I don't know them yeah, at all. Like yeah. in, I think in the case of Mothra too. Mothra is like the bad guy to Godzilla, right? Like so, to explore a movie like that would be interesting. Yeah. But I don't know if it would just they would just shoehorn in Mothra with Godzilla too right. in a future film. Yeah, you never know. Right. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, you, you were thinking of Monarch? Is that the name of it? Yeah, the, the, the organization. Monarch. Yeah. Yeah. Monarch. Yeah. yeah, Monarch. Yeah. Yeah. So about the that question though, like regarding to like Japanese monsters versus like American monsters, like yes. I, I, I don't know exactly. I had like an idea, but because there's that whole thing like with Acura as well, like the like Japanese and like with the bomb, like it, like I don't know how to explain that, but well, that's kind of like where Godzilla, you know, part of that too is like this idea of this destruction from the bomb, and Godzilla kind of came out of those ideas. Right? So like, is it? I mean, so you know, I guess growing, just growing up in that culture. I mean, is that is that just an automatic? Is that like a? I guess what I'm trying to maybe what I'm what I'm wanting to know is, yeah, is that fear? Like, I don't even know how to exactly explain it. But like, the, the creators of, of of Godzilla, for example, when they sat down and like wanted to create something that would they think would really just scare the shit out of people probably their people um they they obviously thought about what what probably was the the worst thing that happened to them right and obviously it would have been the atomic bomb and then they built it from there but like you know i guess we had already touched on this but like for us like what what is the last bad thing that happened to us that we could like even personify into a monster like that that most people could 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 connect with could connect with cause like like nine eleven or something like that right yeah, yeah. like yeah. are you specifically a tragedy or tragedy I, I don't or, know you yeah. know like I just it is that's what's interesting to me and I like because I, I I guess what I'm trying to ask is like what makes what what really makes like a monster possibly super uh, scary to people. Uh, that that that's not like a slasher, like a person who personifies like an STD or something, right? That's killing people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I think. Well, first of all, I think Jacob kind of hit it on the head with zombies. That's why it's been so prevalent because, like, zombies, kind of metaphor. 
metaphor. But do they really scare people now? No, I don't know if they scare people, but they're 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 kind of this metaphor for like how we're kind of brain dead and all the technology and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think what I just thought of and what you're what you're talking about kind of reminded me of and what's scary. And I think the problem with uh, Americans trying to do monster movies is that we don't get it. But that, I think that's why something like the Babadook was so successful. Mm-hmm. It was because the monster was a metaphor for her depression. Mm-hmm. And it was an internal thing that was coming out from her. So, like, a lot of people are depressed in this day and age. How many people take antidepressants, like, every day? Like, right. I think depression is something that we as Americans can kind of get at, you know, because, like, even... And, like, things that are happening... Because not a lot of tragedy... Ha- I mean, more recently, shootings, you know, 9-11, stuff like that, are happening, but they're, they're literal. And we don't make metaphor out of that necessarily. Yeah, and then I mean, we're like, all- for, like, Vegas, you can't... Like, for the Vegas shooting, you can't get more horrific than the actual Vegas shooting. Right. Like, the horror movie of that would be a movie about the Vegas shooter doing that, and you don't know why he's doing it. And you like, can't- that's the horror... Part but of it, I mean, right. that's the reality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The so, reality is just automatically scarier, and like right. even American Horror Story, the new season, I guess, had to uh, reshoot a bunch of stuff because they had a sequence similar to that, and then well, because obviously that's probably more scary than what they ended up actually doing, right? The yeah, the like, real Vegas shooting. Well, I mean, the, the the stuff that they had to reshoot, this the old stuff that the the original stuff they filmed was probably more horrific than the stuff that they had to shoot later. Probably, probably, but like, it's also like the sensitivity. Like, right, as Americans, we don't like to like have things recalled because of exactly. the sensitivity yeah. of it. Yeah, you know, whereas like you know, at other, the same time, but that is, but again, like, did the Japanese think about that when they did Godzilla? Like, they probably just went for it, right? Well, it was. I mean, like. The commentary track on, like, the criterion of Godzilla is, like, the original Godzilla is really great because it talks about, like, the historical political context of, like, like a month before Godzilla came out, uh, a radio operator who had been exposed to oh, a bomb test died. Yeah. And so it's hmm. like they were doing this, I mean, because... I mean, they're still testing bomb. They're testing bombs in the Pacific. I mean, yeah. After after World War Two, um, I mean, which is just terrible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, the, the drop two bombs. You know, bring the power of the sun down to the earth in one country. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and I think that's what's like. I mean, that's why Godzilla is like such a, a successful kind of monster right. because it's like, how do you? Yeah. How, I mean, it's what you're talking about. It's like how do, how do you create a representation for the unrepresentable right that's that that can be different it's crazy but what's what's also maybe what i maybe is is it key that that they didn't take the sensitivity in the in the, like they just did it right i mean they did, cuz like, like i don't know how to like is is there a cultural difference type, yeah, type of thing yeah like because we, there, are, I mean, like if you look at a film that's about ten years after Godzilla, um, Face of Another. Um, Gosh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's real. It's based off a Kobo Abe um, book, and it's um, Teshigahara, okay. who made like Woman in the Dunes, right. and and it's it's about this um, character who um, works in an indu- he's in an, works in an industrial company, and he's had his face burned off in an like, accident. Oh wow. 
and it's certainly dealing with that. And then basically, he gets a face transplant. Oh, I want to see this. It's an amazing film. It's oh, just, what's it called again? Uh, the Face of Another. The face of another. I, have, oh, I, I love movies like that. Like. Um, uh, uh, eyes without a face. Yeah. I love those type of movies, like with that deal with identity and and all like that stuff. and, and it. it totally like the doctor character in it has got this amazing sort of laboratory oh, that like sweet. is all clear glass and has like pictures on the glass, and so it's filmed. It's got that beautiful sense of inside and outside Whoa. going when on. When was that it. one made? Like sixty four, I think. Oh gosh, I'm gonna write that down. That's awesome. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that Americans don't want to face... Like, that's the whole point of Hollywood success, right? Is that we're about the escapism of movies. We don't want movies to, like, remind us of the tragedy. We like to avoid that, whereas, like, I think some other cultures are just, like, use that as the, the, the cathartic thing. It's like, it happened. Hmm. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like... And I think it, I think it fail. I think like uh, um, villains in general in American films are terrible. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> totally. Like, I mean, uh, what's British? I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. So like they, you have, you're you, you have, um, you, you, you have like probably the weakest part of Wonder Woman is um, is the villain. Is the villain? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. but you have a great actor playing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, but like, if I'm gonna, ha- I'm like, do do you want to spend the day with Ares, or do you want to spend the day with the character from Naked, played by David Thewlis? Um, I'll go with Ares. You know, yeah. it's like he's, I'm gonna be less disturbed by that because um, he can blend in. Um, but then, like, <laughs> but then, like Batman versus Superman, right? It's like Lex Luthor is like just like really annoying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. As, opposed, as opposed to like yeah. you know, it's like when you have someone like when you have someone like Trump, like. You you gotta like give us a success. You gotta give us a more successful like Lex Luthor. Right, that's right. terrifying. Right. It's like right, like not a goofball. No, not a, yeah. not not. I mean, not. I mean, the guy who played Lex Luthor played Zuckerberg, right? Yeah, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. What terrible movie baggage are they throwing him in? Is but I mean, like, I mean, you got. I mean, if you, I mean, if you look at the pantheon of folks who've played Lex Luthor, including like animated, right? I mean, gosh, I don't even know who did the anime. He's kind of low key compared to he's yeah. like, but yeah, it's like you have child. you have Kevin Spacey, you have Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman, yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. He's like a child, like, and that's we use this term movie baggage. I don't know if you've ever heard this term before, but essentially what it refers to is that like when you watch a film with an actor in it, you're pulling all of their past films yeah. into the perception of the actor and like that's kind of how actors get jobs directors get jobs depending on their baggage that they, they bring with them right? right Danny Houston in Wonder Woman I mean he's played the villain so many times because he does a good job but sometimes just it's sometimes he can he works better because of the writing or the whatever whereas in Wonder Woman like he wasn't a special villain, you know. Like his villain didn't. Mm. He when well, he's not even. He's just like. I mean, again, it's like the Samuel Jackson thing. This is like he's 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 and he's like you know he's not even the main bad guy. Right, he's being right. directed by yeah. David Thewlis's character. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I thought that was a cool. I, I, I thought that was a cool twist. Yeah. But I mean, like, the, if you take the two villains, it's like the, the situation between the villains is, right. is, is is interesting. Yeah. But like the two performances, right. 
I mean, it was funny because I've never seen David Zulis as a bad guy before, which I thought was kind of cool. You haven't seen Dragonheart? I haven't seen Dragonheart. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's Me got, neither. It's got Sean Connery as a, as a dragon. Oh, man, yeah, Dennis, seen it. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. <laughs> man, talking about a guy with movie baggage. <laughs> um, Great balls of fire. <laughs> no, I think, and then, I guess the other thing I'm kind of curious about, too, is, what is, okay, let's, let's remove franchise, let's remove money, remove, like, the obvious reasons. What is with Americans needing to like remake or revisit things like you know we live in a culture of like uh, movie culture essentially where like things are just constantly being brought back yeah. you know like the mummy like you know uh, Universal's trying to do their whole like reboot of the the, the monsters so that they can have their own franchise world but like why do we even need to like remake King Kong into this movie you know, I, I, Peter Jackson. Okay, maybe I kind of get it. He is one of his big influences is is the original King Kong. So mm. to him, that's like a passion thing. Makes sense for this dude. And he was like, he was approached to do King Kong, and he was like, cool. I get paid a bunch of money, and I can make a big, big ass blockbuster. Like, what is with our need to to even approach these movies? Like Pacific Rim. Is not a remake, but it was sort of this sort of like reimagining, right, of a monster, and then trying to ride the coattails mm-hmm. of Transformers. But if well, I mean, Pacific Rim is coming from a deeper place than that. It's yeah. coming from like his love of Evangelion right. and and stuff. All the all the anime from the eighties. Yes, stuff. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which which that's why I don't mind those. Yeah, mm-hmm. people are like oh, it's just ripping off Transformers. It's like. Right. Not really. Like, but 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 the people will spend their money on Transformers, but they want to go see Pacific Rim, and it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> well, like, that's good because then you get more of that. But like, Battleship is oh, just yeah. a rip okay. of Transformers. That's, that's, yes, <laughs> Battleship is totally yeah. a rip. Like, and maybe, it's totally chasing. Wait, but imagine the universe, the the alternate universe where Hillary's president, and that's like become a movie universe. So it's like movies based on board games. <laughs> oh god, no. They were gonna make a sorry movie. A sorry movie? Yeah, sorry movie. Oh my god. That would have made reviewers' jobs easy. Right? <laughs> would it have been better yeah. than the emoji movie, though? Oh, dude, the emoji movie. I haven't um, seen it, but. I haven't or seen YouTube either. Stars or whatever it's called. Yeah, the oh, YouTube movie. Yeah. So, but, uh, but uh, I guess without the obvious stuff, right? It would have to just be t- wound up with, like, nostalgia, right? I don't, maybe. And maybe Pacific Rim was a bad example. Maybe number two is a better example. But what, Yeah, two number two is a way better example. Because, like, it, to me, like, Pacific Rim was successful because of the, quote, foreign markets. Yeah. Like, it wasn't as successful in the American markets. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they were making Pacific Rim 2, which, for whatever reason, um, they're making it. And, like, I just don't, you know, if we remove the money, the obvious things, what is it that gets the nostalgia maybe but like yeah. you know, what we own the intellectual like the studios own the intellectual property right right so I mean and they want to cash in on it but like yeah in terms of the audience though like they wouldn't be cashing in on it if they didn't think that they're gonna make their money back or make X amount of money right so like there's something about American audiences that I mean Kong you know had 
whatever budget, 180 or something, let's just say 180 with a 150 to 160 in marketing or 180 in marketing. So mm-hmm. they had to essentially do 500 million to break even. They barely broke even. Um, so I guess in a sense it was successful, but like, and I, I guess in terms of its reception, it was. You know, most people, I guess, thought it was okay, but like, there wasn't anything that was like, oh my god, this movie needed to happen. This movie was epic. Like, this was right. this I, is what we needed yeah. in Hollywood. I also right? feel that Hollywood is okay with that. It seems to mm-hmm. me in the last like fifteen years, they're they're okay with mediocre as long as they get their money. They're not necessarily looking, especially studio films, looking for these films that push anything. That's why we, I think we like Mother so much because it was an actual studio film that was like, fuck, that was a studio film? Like, yeah. Whoa, no way. Like, $30 million budget for Mother is like, fuck, that's unbelievable. No sense, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Produced I, by Paramount. Yeah, the yeah. best thing that's come out of Paramount probably in a long, long time that's like an actual original <laughs> content. You know what I mean? Like, the director, writer, director actually created it, you know? Whereas, yeah. I mean, what's cool about Pacific Rim 2, though, is it's still Toro where, where he comes from... He comes from a good place... You know, his intentions are so good, and his love and, 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 and his attention to detail and stuff is... I can't help but just appreciate that hmm. um, and his nostalgia, because, you know, he's doing it, like you said, you yeah, know, I mean, his love. Of, I mean, but, I mean, to a certain extent, it's like, I mean, is it... Is it honest or good to just make fanboy cinema? Right, and that's what Tarantino right. gets the same sort of shit, you know, because right. it's like, I know my uncle, he's just like, you know, I don't get the big thing about Tarantino, he's just taking stuff that he loves and just makes you know his puts his spin on it and puts the QT stamp and then mm-hmm. he's being praised and it's like well yeah I, mean, I can see both arguments you know I really can <laughs> yeah but I mean nobody's making films like that anymore right no yeah yeah right and I think the whole fan like the Kong Skull Island was a conglomeration of this guy's fanboy love of all these different things and you can tell and it's kind of like devoid of anything of the director because he just grabbed everything from everywhere else like mm-hmm. in the case of Quentin Tarantino it's like he came out with a specific style and was like this is my style and this is it whereas like these guys you know this movie like Kong is like you know he doesn't have a style doesn't right. have anything right. what was the director's first film because uh, it was a I I'll find the name of it but I know it was a it was a comedy coming of age I got movie. it right here indie movie yeah I, I'm, I, I mean, I can see yeah. then maybe why the cast is so big for Kong Island because, Summer. like, maybe yeah. he's good with, like, right. with, uh, you know... Wow, this guy's a ginormous beard. Yeah, the king of that Summer. guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the director. And then he did, he directed the stand-up, uh, Nick Offerman stand-up thing, American Ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Kings of Summer, which was a independent coming-of-age comedy drama. How do you go from Kings of Summer to Kong? We're just forgetting about the Nick Offerman, <laughs> Nick Offerman uh, special. Well, in a, in a, I mean, yeah, cinematically, it's the same thing. You just have sort of like a giant person in a lot of empty space and, and, and a lot of crowd reaction shots, right? <laughs> right, right. That right. probably was more... Right. right. Yeah. This is Kong's coming of age. I wonder how he pitched it. Yeah. <laughs> well, has anyone seen, like, Colossal, for example? I was just going to bring Colossal up. I haven't seen I it. I haven't seen it either, but I need to. Because I, I was going to bring that up because... I mean, he's a really... I mean, he's a really interesting filmmaker. Um, like Time Crimes, for example, is like, oh, yeah. is a fantastic movie. Here's another film which I forget the title of that's made after Time Crimes, where, I mean, 
like I didn't enjoy the movie, but I enjoyed the concept where basically there's an alien invasion and really nothing's going on. Extraterrestrial? Yeah. Okay. There's like an extraterrestrial invasion in like this town in, I forget which Spanish town it is. Um, and like nothing's going on. Interesting. And they're just kind of like, you know, trying to kind of go on with their lives, but not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. T- extraterrestrial was right after Time Crimes. Oh, yeah. He, it's called Extraterrestrial, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then he does, he did some stuff for ABC's of Death and VHS Viral and then Colossal. Um, and his name is Nacho Vigalondo. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. Because I know when Colossal came out, I, that's why I, I read some article and it was talking about just the Japanese monster, you know, tied in with the bomb and how that, you know, just they talked about that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I hadn't really thought of it like yeah. that before, mm-hmm. ever. I mean, like, uh, 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 probably like another really great monster film of the last decade would be The Host. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I like that one better than Monsters or... Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, What's another one? Oakja and all that. Like, you know, when it comes to, like, big creatures, I guess. But, yeah, the host was fantastic. (laughs) It's funny that you say the host. I'm trying to find it. Uh, So, in preparation for the film or whatever, um, the director of Kong, uh, Voight Roberts, uh, screened, like, three different things for the cast. Um... One of it, one of the mm-hmm. films was the host. Wow! Yeah, hmm. As, so that was one of the influences of this movie, and then one of the other ones was uh, the documentary for Apocalypse Now, the heart, uh, Heart of Darkness, Hearts of Dark, yeah. whatever it's called, Heart of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. By, so, uh, uh, and then there was there was a third thing, but now I don't. was it Troll Hunter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing not. Uh, it was, which I mean, there's another like really fun. I mean, I like Troll Hunter. I, yeah. I, a troll hunter works so well, like so well. Yeah, I like that. I like You wouldn't think that like someone could get away with doing sort of like the Blair Witch thing, but man, they that film so so like does it so well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think so much because of like the 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 guy who is like working for the government is like just. I mean, the performance is just so yeah, great. The guy is fantastic. <laughs> I need his. He should be in more stuff. <laughs> I think he's like a famous sort of like comedian. Oh, okay. In, in was it Norway or Sweden? I, yeah. Norway, was, right? Oh, I thought it was Sweden. Or Sweden. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's a Scandinavian. Scandinavian. Oh, Scandinavian. Yeah. Or that's, that's what I'm talking about. Right? Norway and. Sweden, Scandinavia. Yeah. 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 So Scandinavia. It's, it's in that area. It's in that area. Oh, yes. I'm pretty sure it's Norwegian. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find those movies. I can't find the movies that you show, but yeah, those two of them. Yeah, the the, um, the host and, and and Troll Hunter would probably be my two favorite. Then actually, I, yeah, I, I mean, Trollhunter. like if, if you, I mean, like if Universal like really wanted to go like with like one of those one of those monster movies like yeah. Mothra or you know do it yeah. um, do it like that <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> like my, my, my like long standing pitch so I always tell this to my students like when I do like projects I'm like you know what you really need to do if you're going to make like a kaiju film or something it's like start off and like start off with like an, someone doing like a makeup tutorial right and so it starts off like a YouTube makeup tutorial <laughs> and then like way off in the distance you hear like (laughs) (laughs) and then like you know 
wall comes down and they're still and but then they have to go on the run but they're still like documenting like there's a certain point at which the makeup tutorial has to continue she's not done she's not done she's only right. got half or that or that she or like yeah. the whole thing like that becomes like the the iconic part of the film because right. she's like half done yeah. right and and so I mean you could play that up for comedy and for stuff like this you'd be like this and then like whoa right I mean there's so many there's like so much stuff that could work right. you know, just yeah. beautifully like, but, yeah. but work with sort of like existing like existing um, places where there isn't really a traditional kind of narrative right but yeah. you know. she, she could walk down the middle of a street and all the dudes on one side can be checking her out and all the dudes on the other oh, side can just be continue walking <laughs> well it was great because yeah you, like you said it's taking familiar stuff we, we're all familiar with YouTube tutorials we're all familiar with like the found footage or the the, the you know this is happening right now this type of film but Com- combined with stuff like that, it's super unique and more definitely more original. Um, I mean, which would be like, I mean, sort of like the 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 brilliant way of doing it would be like to do one like Mothra that isn't going to necessarily have the big box office right, draw, right. and do it like in between and have a bunch of people who are <laughs> like make like eight or ten. YouTube tutorials that are taking place in this fictional city where Mothra is is taking place and then they're all sort of like don't market it just fund it have them all connect yeah that's fantastic why why don't we make movies like that like why why don't people do that why not I I mean I think they are but it's like it's the notion of you know like if we all sort of sat down, okay, we're gonna. This is the this is the overarching narrative that we're gonna have. But instead of telling it straightforward, we're gonna have all these pieces, and because you have to like you have to not only sort of have the content narrative worked out, but you got to have this sort of like superstructure narrative mm-hmm. that like whereby. Um, we would have to all pretend, like, whoever was involved in it would have to, like, pretend to be these other people and say, oh, my gosh, have you seen this? And there'd be, like, a, a, like a link to that. <laughs> or it'd be, like, or it'd be like the, it would be, like, the name of the clip on YouTube, but it would be misspelled, right? And so, like, when they went into the browser, I mean, you'd have to, like, you'd have to plan it out with all the limits and, like, tricks yeah. that are of the sort of general way that media works. Oh, God, that would be... I mean, people are. I mean, I think it's the whole anthology movement, right? Right. Like ABC's Mm -hmm. of Death, VHS, like, you know. And those are really popular, yeah. Yeah, there's like TV shows that are doing season by season anthology style. Semi keeping it in the same realm, you know, sometimes they don't, but. And also, like, I mean, it, it tied in with our present day culture of, like, limited attention span. Right, because I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, the great thing is like, I mean, you'd get to a certain point where the whole story was available, right? right, right. But then there'd be like, but wait, yeah, you know, There's because more. you could conti- you could continue doing it over like a number of years. Yeah, there's a really great documentary um, about this augmented reality game um, that was based around this like secret society in San Francisco. And it was like art projects and all this stuff. And oh god, I forget what it's called. It's just the one where like it's like an experiment where they they it's like a horror room or something of sorts. Um, or is that a different? This one? is a different one. Okay. And so there's like the oh gosh, oh it's the Jejun Institute, which is Jejun means like meaningless nonsense kind oh, okay. of thing. Hmm. And so. Um, 
Yeah, so they would do installations, and and then they would like print like these amazing sort of like fold out uh, maps that would like direct you, and then like they would just have people doing like street performances oh. that would inter like, and then you'd have to go talk to them in order to. Interesting. Yeah, there's a documentary about it. I mean, the documentary doesn't sort of like capture like what it was like, but yeah. I mean, you can certainly see how you could. Whoa. Huh. Is that the future? Performance art-based film? <laughs> Anthology-based performance art film? <laughs> no, I think it's like, I think it's, I think like, um, we're, I mean, it's more sort of like, there's stories out there, right? And we know that, and we're sort of in that moment culturally where it's like, what's the veracity of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the truth behind it? And like, in terms of, I mean, this may sound like, like there's the, so. What about going beyond the truth, right? It's like right. in terms, of, and I don't mean like that in searching for the truth, but using the sort of on the ground limits of how things are to um, decode and, and create work, right? Like, I mean, I think like uh, a film like Bob Roberts. Anyone seen Bob Roberts? No. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. That's basically a, a monster movie that we're presently living. Oh wow! Oh, is that the Tim Robbins is a conservative uh, folk singer who um, was an investment banker and runs for Senate? Oh yes, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, mockumentary. It's a mockumentary, yeah. yeah. But Cinema it's got it's, it's a great it's a great I mean it's a great film. Yeah. It's got. Um, his campaign manager or one of his funders is um, Ray Wise. Ray Wise is in it. Uh, Gore Vidal? No. Gore Vidal's in it too. It's. Um, so his campaign manager was Ray Wise. Yeah, his campaign manager is Ray Wise. Ray Wise does a great job. Um, very young Jack Black. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. As one of the sort of like young kids who's very like adamant. Um, <laughs> this is a trip. John Cusack, John Peter Cus- Gallagher, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is Alan his Rickman's sort of back, oh, okay. his sort of backer. Whoa, yeah, Alan Rickman. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, Alan Susan Rickman's Sarandon. Wow, like there's a lot of people. When, when did it come out? 80, 89 or ninety? Uh, ninety two. Ninety two. Yeah. Wow. I like, guess his directorial debut for um, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. because yeah, he did Dead Man Walking in ninety seven. Yeah. And uh, Susan Sarandon, so they must hit it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Gr- I mean, and then like um, John Cusack plays the, uh, like a John Cusack like character hosting like a Saturday Night Live pro like program where Bob Roberts is performing. The beautiful thing about that that film is like they shot it where they shot it in the public TV studio where they made. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So it's like, there's this shot, because basically what uh, John Cusack does when Bob Roberts comes on is he shuts the power off. So they like, it won't go out on the air. And as he's, like, doing it, he's going backstage, and, like, there's all these, like, you get to see these great back... The yeah. back side of all that, like, imagine, like, uh, wow. make-believe land from... Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. 
That's fantastic. Wow. It's a great, it's a really great film. You if, like, if you were going to do politics, like for a podcast, I would do that. And then there's this documentary on Oliver North called The Perfect, Can- or the Perfect Candidate. Okay. Which that one. is really amazing. Oh, cool. I'm gonna have to look that up. So, I, yeah, that's an interesting you know, pairing. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. like, like if you want to sort of like understand, like, right now, like those two films from the '90s, strangely <laughs> enough, are like, right? Whoa! I mean, there's this chilling moment in The Perfect Candidate where um, they're talking to this supporter of Oliver North, this old. As, as William S. Burroughs said, old white woman with a pinched evil, bitter face. Um, <laughs> he's talking about, I don't know why they're always talking about racism. And it's just like, she just goes on and has this dialogue, and it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that's some horror. That's some like yeah, full on real horror. Real horror. Right. That's some rated R horror, right? There. That's some rated that's R. Not R. That PG, that's some that PG thirteen, yeah. where like you know, your horror is going to come with some product placement, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like you know, to kind of bring everything back, like I, like we just are not when you kind of are the monster or you don't have things happening in your in your life that are not so hard like you know to, to the people who are who are there when shootings happen that's that is the horror like and not everyone like in the case of the bomb the whole country felt that yeah it's a collective thing yeah mm-hmm. in this case where we feel it only through media or phones so like yeah. our connection to the Vegas shooting, as much as it as the Vegas shooting might have been recorded at the time it was happening, we're still disconnected. So well, same with nine eleven, even nine yeah. eleven, yeah. yeah. And nine eleven was more of like a, co- a country thing, but in the terms, of, I mean, America has like always been. We can just send the military out and we'll be fine. What there's no monster that can face our military, face the heroes, which I think is well, another reason. It, it, I mean, it's think, I think it's like why you could never have a. It would be you, know, you could not never have it, but it would be really hard to make a great 9/11 film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, the closest, like, I mean, like, I didn't see the film, but the book of, like, Incredibly, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close mm-hmm. yeah. was, I mean, powerful in a lot of ways. I don't think the film. Yeah, I never saw the film. I mean, yeah. because there's just sort of, like, very physical things about that book that yeah. that book is doing that, that, um, but, I mean, it would be really hard. I mean, and, and if you think about, like, American, like, I mean, like, I, I would s- say, like, it... I haven't seen the film, but, like, the book is a very successful kind of monster. But, like, what happens in that book is the notion that there is this very old fundamental evil that is in this town, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, like, a, that's a very sort of American... Right, yeah. kind of, like, like, Sleepy Hollow kind right. of, like, right. type of horror. But, yeah. I mean, but, I mean the, 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 the kind of monster is... Uh, you know this sort of repressed uh, trauma, right? Right. Like with, um, you know, the notion that this, like, the land was taken by violence, and you know, yeah, that's kind of right. horror, like the Indian burial ground kind of trope. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 But like, not that. But like that but idea. Not that, but, but that idea. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like you know that they're like. I mean, and 
that there were gods, other sorts of gods. Right. But they aren't here. They are still here, but the means of accessing them aren't. Yeah. So I wonder if that's, like, related to the fact that we don't have, in America, like, that long-standing tradition, you know? Like, we, we, we don't... Yeah, we don't have, like, haunted places, or we don't have places yeah. with, like, 600-year histories. Yeah, we're like, yeah. oh, a million people died here. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like one person died here, or, you know? I mean, because I think a lot of where our horror comes from is, like... I think maybe that's why The Witch was successful, too. It was, like... The, it's it's the beyond almost like the frontier which our whole i mean you know i don't know it's like, like because we like america was the the new world and the fear that was like a fear so when you land you know like what's there what's waiting for us that type of fear is kind of inherent but now it's we, we don't really touch on that though much anymore do we well, well I, kong uh, King Kong, like Skull I mean, Island. I guess that's, that's kind of what... It's true, but then also it's there's so much Vietnam imagery there, too, that... Like, well, it's like, you know, like, you, it's... It's, you know, it's not going to end well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Actually, that's a good point, because you, 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 you go in knowing that it's not going to go well, whereas the people that were coming over, they didn't know that they were hoping for a new start new fresh yeah, for thing. a reset yeah. but yet that fear was like well fuck but we really don't know what's there whereas now it's almost like a trope at least film wise where you know it's going to end bad yeah it's like yeah. let's go into this island that's surrounded by like this insane storm right. let's just go because why not yeah. <laughs> because if there's yeah. just a storm on the outside that is probably the worst thing that we'll encounter <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and they have that scene with Hill, uh, Hillson where it's like he's just doing it for the money you know and he's like oh if we're doing that I want an ass load of money yeah. you know which is also an American thing right yeah <laughs> but like when people were coming here they weren't necessarily thinking about that no, they weren't thinking know? about money they were just thinking about like just free you know, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> like. So basically, Americans can't really come up with a good monster movie because all of our horror is internal, and we're mainly like our horror comes from our past, and then like in an internal struggle, or in the case of like the witch, like what our horror is like, what is going to break up us as a family or what's as, gonna, yeah you know, as what, a yeah what's going to affect our way of life so that's all essentially kind of more of an internal thing which is why I think some of this newer horror is kind of more successful than the monster thing because we don't have an external monster well, to fight really yeah I mean you could do, I mean you could certainly I mean you could do it but you couldn't make the film like you could have a monster but you couldn't do the film right like you wouldn't be allowed to make the film yeah, see, you right. know, that's what I find the most that interesting too, yes. thing, which, which I, which I'm trying to, I guess what I was trying to say Right, like, earlier, if you, like, like, I mean, you could make, you could make, like, a whole horror series of, like, you could make a film that would, a, a film series that would be as successful as, like, Jason or Freddy if you just made, like, this caricature of someone like Rush Limbaugh, yeah. who, at the same time, was... You know, somewhat. You know, a monster. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. I mean, not like he turns into a werewolf or something, <laughs> but you know that he's like eating babies or yeah, something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but you couldn't make that film. I know that's what. But that's what's. That's but why. But I mean, it would be an amazing film, right? Well, that's the thing. But I that's mean, why I don't. That's why I don't get. That's why that pisses me off, though. It's like, why? Why not? Because like that's a type of horror. Like I seriously have never seen a horror film that's affected me. I've, I've never once had to leave a film or just grossed out. Nothing like that. That's why, like, it just irritates me that, like, you know, like, movies like a Serbian film and stuff, what I appreciate about that film is that it's a political film and that it's saying something more than just, like, the schlock gore or, like, the hardcore, like, you know, sex imagery and stuff like that. I like those movies, but people that are shocked by those or that are, like, disgusted by them are really looking at it on that physical level what I find the most horrific aspects of those movies not what we're seeing but what it's actually trying to tell us mm-hmm. what it is so why the fuck not wa- make a movie like what you just said and like you know like if he's eating babies like if, if it cuts to them showing like him showing like eating a baby like that would fucking shock a lot of people right. I don't think it would necessarily shock me but it would be a start like yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like I don't know how to explain that. Like but if like, he went in to like kiss the baby, but instead just like started gnawing. Right, on. it would be closer to what would like what would be a fear or horror for me than anything that I could see on TV or in a movie because it's tapping into something that that is so not um, what would be like appropriate or what's there's a word better word for it. Uh, it it's, just, it's, it's so almost in bad taste. It's like taboo almost. It's taboo. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely taboo. But it's... I don't know how to explain that. Uh, Americans don't even want those movies. Just, well, I mean, that's why you couldn't make it, right? right. I mean, yeah. it's like... Exactly. I mean, there's, there's really nasty... There's, like, really nasty, horrible stuff... That yeah. is just like psychically, like at the level of your psyche and your gut reaction is just yeah. like utterly horrifying. But it's very much normalized. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's like you know, like those anim- like you know, these videos that pop up of the, these animals that are just getting abused, that are just so fucked up. Like those those videos get me more irritated, more angry, more than any, than anything else. That I've ever seen. Well, I mean, those, but those are like those are, I mean, and those are like very much constructed in, you know, I think of the cl- like the classic example is the um, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That commercial. Right. Yeah. Right. But like, so like if here's like the totally evil experiment, like this is what you can't do. Yeah. I, I do this. You've done this in class a bunch of times. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how um, you you play that video and then you mute it. And then you bring up the Ramones beat on the brat. <laughs> right, right, right. And you play that right, music right. to it. Yeah. And, and, and you've, I mean, this is totally evil, but at the same time, it's like, <laughs> in order to highlight how manipulative the Sir McLaughlin music is, right. yeah. you have to sort of like create that jarring. Right, definitely. Yeah, yeah no, for well, sure. That really reveals the fact that the soundtrack or the, 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 the score of the movie is like the feeling, yeah, you right. know, that, totally. that you get from the from the film absolutely yeah or the lack thereof or the yeah yeah because yeah. no sound is still a feeling yeah yeah exactly. yeah I mean it's I don't know it's like I, yeah it's just I don't know there's like horror that like people talk about like on the news like that will just get brushed over that affects me more than anything that I could ever see in a movie like you know when you see when you see when you hear a story about you know 23 um, young girls of under the age of you know eight were rescued in Canada from some sex like hotel. You're just like, 
what the fuck? Like, 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 just when you really think about it, the gravity of that and just how fucked up and how horrific that is. But yet, do we see any movies about that? No, because it's so taboo. Yet that's the sh- that's the sort of stuff that really for me would be like effective as a horror film and actually would say more about maybe our political climate because you could use you know like what a Serbian film did you know Um, or Cannibal Holocaust is kind of that right you could use that those images and put what's happening with our present political climate and it would be the most horrific horror film anybody would ever see but we're never going to see it Nope. I don't think you can't, you can't and especially touch it. in this day and age you can't touch it and that's what I liked about the 70s a lot with that cinema is they were experiencing things like Vietnam that we had never really experienced before and they were it was like okay to break type it was like well fuck hmm. we're doing this to the villagers in Vietnam and we can do this on film because it's just make believe yeah. you right. know which is I find interesting we can't really do that anymore or um, I mean like the level of like I mean probably like the the best movie about the conspiracy theories like the parallax view oh god yeah I've yeah we haven't seen that in a while but i mean that's like i mean and it's so great because like i i think like the films in the 70s like were very effective at like cre- like which i don't think you can i mean which i don't think you can do in films any anymore right. like uh having these mo- these like long stretches that are boring right yeah where you have to, where you like, you, you have to think. Well, and cause I, I was just telling Keith earlier, I've been on a Tarkovsky, um, <sighs> like, binge the last two weeks. So, you know, like, watching Stalker and watching The Sacrifice, where, where oh, the sacrifice. You're, you're basically, I mean, he made those films where you're supposed to be in the cinema. Because yeah. he was, you know, this is before VOD or anything like that. So he is, he is knowing that you're in the cinema you you're not going to leave you know yeah. he's testing your patience where you're mm-hmm. going through these long takes or these long sequences where like you were saying like but we can't really do that again have, anymore yeah have you seen um chris marker's documentary on a no, day in the life of andre where he's dying of cancer right and it's all just... and there's also the it's when they're making the sacrifice as well oh man it's i, so, I got to see that yeah, it's I was really great to a podcast about that this morning it's a great it's a great film <laughs> oh man yeah that might be on filmstruck i think actually i think it probably i'm gonna have to check that out because chris yeah. marker i mean it's chris marker i have to, I have to watch it <laughs> but yeah i mean it's that sort of thing too i mean like like in like some of what tarkovsky did even you know is it's so horrific but yet he does it in that way that it, it's it's so meditative too that it just gets you in there and you're thinking about it but you don't even really know you're thinking about it until the film ends and you're just like wow maybe that's what it was or you know I don't know it's just interesting <laughs> and this is a state of horror these days for me is just so sad that I it just I don't know that's what's interesting about yeah. like King Kong for me too because like at the time like that was probably like it's super horrific. Totally, you know, mm. like like especially just you know like the, the, when he's like grabbing the lady, you know, and just like chucks her down, like it's just uh, like yeah. probably freaks people out. Totally. Like just yeah. was, that was censored. I guess that's subsequently, true, it's the, yeah, it's the, the, the theatrical. Yeah, mm. we didn't even see that. I guess yeah, mm. it's true. Like in the subsequent releases, yeah. it was it, that part. That scene was cut out. <laughs> Travesty. Travesty. <laughs> I hate to... I, I have real problem with censorship. Uh, but I think that was... 
pretty solid all in all. I think we got a pretty good like understanding, a better understanding, I think, of like the way Americans think versus like Japan. You know, in the, in the case of Godzilla and how they think and and why monsters tend to work outside of the American kind of movie system. Um, so yeah, I think uh, unless you guys have any last last minute. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, the angel. Yeah, see, we told you. Uh-huh. We, we prepared him for this. <laughs> I'm popular. Is that why he's spreading news about me? That's good. So there's probably going like to be a it. really bad joke that comes up somewhere. Yeah, I'm surprised that you're going to say. So I love that scene where you know <sighs> King Kong is reaching for this really cool object that's on this building, and it was the angel. Yeah, yeah I, I was waiting uh, for it. I was waiting for it. I honestly forgot until you started wrapping up, and I was like, <laughs> oh shit, I gotta, I gotta mention it. Say yeah. Uh, yeah. That uh, I'll cover it. Is there anything else you'd like oh. to say, Tony? No, I'm good. Are we Are we gonna do like which ones you like better? If we'd like to, uh, uh, yeah. No, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Which okay. one we like better? So we'll <laughs> it's like a little opinion piece. At yeah. The end. Okay. Sometimes at the end, you know, we'll do the reviews and then pick. You know, because sometimes there's certain movies we've watched where it's like one person really does not. Like the, the last so, like, they need to like vent, you know, so, for like uh, two okay. minutes. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, we watched. Um, we did a, a episode about aspect ratios. So we talked. Fun. Yeah, it was a great episode. Um, it was like the third one we did. <laughs> um, and so we used uh, Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest, uh-huh. and then we used How to Marry a Millionaire because that was like one of the first in CinemaScope. I hated How to Marry a Millionaire. <laughs> so it was a point in time where I was able to say... You were able to get that out of you. <laughs> yeah, he was like, yeah. This is the... But I they think it might be it. the one time where Jacob and I actually agreed on a film where we both liked what, it. What? Yeah. Well, that happens. Where, well, we, happened where Keith... Where it's like just the two of us we're and just Keith the two of us. is the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's generally... Uh, and then I think... Uh, I think we... I both... But I think we both picked Grand Budapest, right? As our favorite, though, between the two. Um, probably. Yeah. yeah. I don't and know if we were doing that back Moon then. Moondark Saints, not, yeah. we just did not like at all. I think Jacob and I just I, uh, I totally like. Yeah. Not a fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, for some reason, you hated Blade Runner. <laughs> he hated the uh, original yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> Which one? Did you watch all five? Uh, <laughs> I, I watched the all four. Or I watched four. I should have oh, watched the other watched one. The, the fifth yeah. one would have just. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't watch the yeah. final catch. Is that the one I should watch? <laughs> the, the, the angel would have opened up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, Tony gets it. <laughs> Tony knows what's happening. Okay, so who wants to go first? I can go first if no one wants to. Right, you go first. The, the original, certainly. <laughs> Can, can we just all... Yeah, I think some, we can pretty much... Some, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we like to guess. Well, like, we started this last time, but I think we all like King Kong. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can't really compete. Yeah. yeah. Generally, it comes down to the historical importance, like, of the movie. You know, like, it just... Yeah. If, if Jack Black's character from Peter Jackson's film had been somehow... In Kong Skull Island, uh, I would have given Kong Skull Island the win. Just, he would have yeah. been <laughs> like, like, like yeah. he's like, like he's hanging out with John C. Riley. That would, he's, yeah, been he's, there, he's been the there key. even longer. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you? Why, why didn't yeah. they hit you up to direct? Because you're not yeah, writing you, movies, yeah. Tony. <laughs> I mean, because the, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, Jack Black's performance I, in the yep. is, it was good. It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's what made that movie. He, he teaches sure. all the tribesmen how to sing. And dance in a musical rock number. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like, I, I, 
I mean, like, I mean, Jack Black, like, certainly has, like, cinematic baggage, right? Totally. Yeah. Yes. Right? Totally. Like, but that's weird, too, because but his, it, I mean, his baggage was, like, comedy, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, his, his cameo in, like, the Muppets movie is so brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, He's like, this is not funny. I'm not here. <laughs> Help me. And, but it's like, you know, it's no, of course. It's exactly. No, I, I, yeah, in terms of. The, or if if we somehow find out that actually Tim and Eric did direct Kong Skull Island. <laughs> right. That would make then it, I, then it might be close. Yeah. Right. It's like Tim and Eric or Terrence and Philip from South Park. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be happy with either one of those. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yeah, no, the. No, but like the original, I mean, I mean the original like changed movie making. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's funny because we've talked about a couple films that have done that, where it's like you can't, you can't not pick that. You know? It's hard, not, yeah. it's hard to pick the other. Yeah, it's hard. You, it's hard to top the original, and in any case, yeah. really. I'm yeah. sure there's a few, but the, the, so the Blade like Runner Oceans. episode was really tough for us. I mean, I, I don't know, especially for me, I think on just how like which one would we felt was greater because like. The original is the original. Like, can you really fuck with it? Like, you Talk know, about a movie right. that changed, but, yeah. but it didn't fuck with it. You know, but that's like what's it, so great about the built, sequel. It built said on it, it didn't fuck with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it like so, kept the integrity. Yeah, of the original. Absolutely, it's crazy. So we're all in agreement. Yeah, King yeah. Kong, yeah, King Kong. I honestly, I watch it. Just enjoy watching the old King Kong over Kong yeah. Skull. Like, I just like if 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 I were to detach my. Like, hey, this was really important for film side, and my side that's just like I enjoy this over this. I honestly enjoyed watching yeah, totally the older one. It's also over. more believable yeah. for me too. Yeah. Like as and as just like it's more believable for me. And like and also, I'll, I'll, I except you know the fact that those dinosaurs would have killed him. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But like, you know, and that green the, screen was horrible. But even the aspect of, of like it going back to civilization, like that whole aspect of it, I think really was kind of lost in Kong Island because you know it didn't have that. Well, yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, like how sad that scene is in the yeah. theater. Yeah. Like, like that's what we didn't get to talk about. I was legitimately sad. When he died mm. in that movie, yeah, like that's like some powerful shit. Yeah. Like, it, I don't know. It's just, yeah. And the in Peter Jackson did a pretty good job with that too. I thought, uh, yeah, with it, you know, the original man. Like, I just, yeah, it's the original. How 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 they were able to to get just a fucking piece of clay and some fur to actually make you feel for yeah, it. Yeah, That's yeah. incredible. Like, it's really yeah. incredible. It's, it's, yeah, just on a technological standpoint, it's just insane. In, for Godzilla, do we, uh, do we, in the original, I haven't seen it, but do, do you feel bad for Godzilla at the end at all? I don't think I think it's so, generally yeah. the people versus Godzilla, it's a, I don't think... Because it's weird that I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's, because okay. it's like if we're talking about the, the original, yeah, like the original Japanese yeah. version versus not the Matthew Bo- Broderick one. No, 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 no. <laughs> versus the like um, Perry Mason, um, you know, the Americanized version. Right, right. Um, and the American one, you feel for him at the end. Is that right? No. Well, I mean, the the American one is like the American one has like no sort of. I think I think you feel for him in both films, right? But it's like uh, in the original Godzilla, it's like it's way more just sort of you're just 
you're you you are psychically like what Tokyo is physically. Oh wow! You're like in shreds. Hmm. Oh okay. And it's not just because of Godzilla. It's because like this Godzilla isn't just like the worst thing that happened. It's just like the culmination of really bad things happening. Right. Right. Oh man, yeah. the culminations. You know that's that's interesting too. God. Uh, there's so much to always talk about. We never have enough time to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that was great. So I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, if you have any questions, topics, suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, send an email to b2bfilmspodcast at gmail.com. We're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. You can also visit our Facebook page, join our group to comment on or discuss this week's episode or any past episodes. All those episodes can be found on iTunes and at soundcloud.com slash b2bfilms. If you like the show, please rate it and leave a comment on iTunes because it helps move us up the lists on iTunes so others can find us. Our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found at skinnyproducing.com. You can also check him out in the newest movie called Kong Skinny Island. <laughs> King Kong is uh, plays a he's two D in that one. See, last week's was good too because in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the guy gets called like a skin job, and there's a someone writes on his door in his apartment, "Fuck you, Skinner, Curtis Skinner." Yeah. So, so, like, yeah. so you guys told Tony I would do that too. Yeah. 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 Oh wow. Yeah, we killed, we killed for you. <laughs> no All surprises. Right. Whatever what <laughs> the element of surprise. Try to surprise the guest. Um, that was a good one, though. Uh, next week we will be covering Paranormal Activity and the Blair Witch Project for Halloween. So make sure you watch those films to be part of the discussion. And thank you, Tony, for being here. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Tony. Thank you for having me. This is one of the best episodes we've done so far and definitely because you were here to <laughs> my, my brain feels bigger yeah. <laughs> it feels larger yeah. it, it doesn't feel skinny it hurts <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna throw it back at it you it was man. skinny before <laughs> uh, no we definitely hope that you'll come back on at some if, point for if, something if you'll have me we should Absolutely. do like a video drum episode um, that would be I'm so there yeah so <laughs> well, what do we pair with video drum <sighs> man that's the that's, that's a, a good that's question that's a good question yeah there's, I just there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's what the audience needs to provide. Yeah, uh, no, that'd be good. Uh, what do we pair with Videodrome? Send an email at the B2B Films Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com and we will do it. As long as it's, uh, you know, as long as it's good. As long as it's, <laughs> as long as it's, as long as it's not a good parent porn. That's what makes sense. Like, that's what makes sense. Within, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time to uh, talk with us. And thank you all for listening. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye.